Hey everybody, Stefan Molyneux, Free Domain. Hope you're doing well. FreeDomainRadio.com slash donate to help out the show. Some really, really wild, almost jaw-dropping calls tonight. Really appreciate the callers. The first caller struggled out of the friend zone after he asked a girl out that he liked, and then his parents demanded that he apologize to the girl and maintain the friendship, even though he said it will break my heart. Wild stuff, excavating that. Family blockagengas was quite the exercise, and I think you'll find some really, really useful stuff in that. Now, the next caller, she's a young woman, and she's decided to try and settle down with a good man, and she's good-looking herself, and she's got a fork in the road. She's got two men. One of them is very good-looking, but only averagely successful. The other is less attractive, but very successful. Should she go for brains or looks primarily? And she says, she makes a good case that good-looking people have it easier in the world. So, a very interesting question, and we dug deep into that. So, then, well, a young man called in. And his girlfriend of 18 months, and he broke up recently because he betrayed her and he cheated on her. And discussing errors, discussing mistakes, discussing wrong things that we've done is very challenging. The tendency is, of course, either to excuse yourself completely, hey man, what happened happened, or to become self-abusive, I'm a terrible person, I'm a bad boyfriend, I did really bad things, and trying to walk that middle line where you don't pretend you didn't do anything wrong, but you also don't attack yourself to the point where you just end up traumatized. Well, we all have self-criticism in our life. At least I hope you do, because if you don't, well, that's not good. We all have self-criticism, and I think I gave you some good tips, and him some good tips on how to deal with that kind of stuff. So again, thanks so much, everyone, for making this great conversations possible. Freedomainradio.com slash donate. Please don't forget to pick up your copy of The Art of the Argument, my book, at theartoftheargument.com. If you have some shopping to do, fdrurl.com forward slash Amazon. All right. Well, first today we have Erwin. Erwin wrote in and said, A few months ago, I decided to ask a female friend of mine on a date. Of course, she said she only saw me as a friend and nothing more. As a result, I ended the friendship, telling her that we want different things from each other and that maintaining a friendship will only end up hurting us both. When my parents found out, they were upset and labeled me a sexist that I don't know how to treat women, and that I only see them as sex objects. To add salt to the wound, they want me to apologize to this girl and remain friends with her. I believe that this is a terrible idea and will only result in my heart crushed more than it already has been. And if I apologize, this will only serve to validate their opinion that I only see girls as sex objects. How do I stand my ground and at least convince my parents that I'm doing what is best for me? That's from Irwin. Irwin, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can hear you. And uh, that is <clears throat> that is quite a tale, my friend. <laughs> Let me tell you that. Oh, doesn't happen to everybody. Sorry? I said it doesn't happen to everybody. No, uh, no, thank heavens. Uh, that is that is quite something. Um, is there more backstory that would be helpful, or...? Um, the backstory was I had known this girl off and on for about a year. She was hanging yeah. out with some of my other friends. And at the time, I was in a two-year relationship myself in college. And then when that one ended, this girl, who had been on a debate team with me and tried helping me get a job... 
the one I tried to ask out. Um, she was very attractive, very pretty, but the main thing that cinched me was the fact that she was actually kind and nice to me. It's a rare thing to have a girl just be flat out kind to you and nothing's expected. So that's what sort of but, started But enough me about your mom. What? We'll get to um, that, but go on. But anyways, so after a few months of getting over my previous girlfriend, I decided, what the hell, I'll go for broke and ask my friend out. And she said, well, I only see you as a friend. And that was the, and that's when I decided to end the friendship right there because I knew it was going to only end up getting worse and worse. And it would make me feel even angrier and angrier as time went on. And I didn't want to do that to her because she'd actually tried helping me when I was in a not a great place. And what did she try to help you with or in what way? Um, she tried to help me get an RA job, which if you don't know, it's a resident assistant. And in the dorms at where I went. They would pay for your housing and they'd pay for your meal plan. So all you'd have left to pay is for your tuition. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you think that she had any romantic interest in you that was bypassed in some way? Or do you think it just never quite happened for her? I'm going to assume that it never quite happened to her because when I asked her out, she obviously said no. But that's just my opinion on the matter. Right, right. So, did you guys share values in some way or another? <clears throat> you talked about the kindness and so on. And God help, we were, God help a pretty woman who's kind to us, right? I mean, <laughs> they want to be nice, they really want to be kind, often. but then, next thing you know, it's like, have my children. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get to that stage. <laughs> right. But, um... We were both on the debate team. We had similar politics. I was a little more conservative than she was, but it was livable. And we were both not uncommon. Christian. Yep. And those were some of the similar backgrounds we had. But okay, so. Any other values that you guys had in common? I mean, uh, in terms of philosophy or religion or ethics or that kind of stuff? Purpose of life, meaning of it all, that kind of stuff? She was really into helping um, a lot of charity cases, but it was the type of she would actually invest her own money and own time into it. It wasn't the hypocritical charity cases where I'm charitable, but I'm using somebody else's money to fund it. So she would help other college students. If they were low on lunch money, she would give them some of their own or her own money. And she also would help people study up for exams and stuff. And that appealed to me because that was actually being charitable. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> I just got to share with you the thought that do you think that you might have been one of those charity cases? I'm getting the... I got the hint I may have been one of those cases. Right. 
And do you know where her <clears throat> charitable impulses came from? Honestly, I don't know. I think some people are just born that way. I never did get to meet her parents, so I don't know. Right. Now, you and her, just in terms of, let me just get the physical attractiveness spread. So where would she be on a 1 to 10? I would say she would be pretty comfortably in a 9, maybe a 9.5. And, and I, where, yeah, and where would you be? A seven or an eight. Yeah, not massively. Not too big of a gap, yeah. but a gap yeah. nonetheless. Right. It's not like, you know, Quasimodo chasing Christy Brinkley <laughs> in her prime. I, <laughs> I got it. I hope not. And how were you expecting to close that gap? Um, I was expecting to close that gap by just simply asking. A lot of the times I've noticed that if you don't ask, you don't get anything. And I've seen plenty of not-so-good-looking guys bring in girls by just asking them out. Now, they may get rejected about 10 to 20 times before they get one, but they do get results eventually. No, but you may not be dysfunctional enough to simply get a pretty girl by asking because there's a lot of that Christian Grey stuff going around. And if pretty girls feel ugly on the inside, then they won't respond to a virtuous man. So let me ask you again, how were you going to close the gap? Because sustainable relationships are when levels of sexual market value tend to be roughly equal. And yep. how were you going to close the two-point gap in your physical attractiveness? Well, I was hoping that some of my achievements in the past might do that job. Um, I'm a two-time national muzzleloader pistol champion two years in a row. I'm the first to be invited to the Olympic Training Center for Air Pistol, and I've helped train other students on how to get to the Olympic Training Center in Air Pistol. So I've done quite that, a bit in but the do you shooting think that's something? Area. Do you think that that's something that she values? I didn't think it was, but being a national champion in anything I thought would have some appeal. Yeah, I mean, it does have to be something, you know, you could be very the very top-ranked Unreal tournament player, but that doesn't mean that it translates into value for her. Because if you want to aim for a nine and a half, and it, again, I'm not saying the whole thing is about looks, but this is just a reality in particular to when you're young. There has to be some way to close the gap because a nine and a half is going to be very aware of her looks. And she, if, if she then floats around with a guy who's a seven, then you have to bring something to the table that makes that worthwhile to her from a um, social metaphysician standpoint. Like a, you know, this is just true of most people when they're young, but or most people as a whole. But you do need to bring something to the table that's going to close that gap so that she feels comfortable going out with a man who's less attractive than she is. Because come on, you know, it's funny. And let me just sort of give you a sidebar here because people get kind of mad at me about this stuff, which is ridiculous. We all know how this works. <laughs> let me ask you this. If you were to choose a woman based on looks only. Just looks. And you didn't know what she looked like but you saw a picture of her current boyfriend. 
that would be a pretty good way to figure out how attractive she was. So if her current boyfriend was, you know, looked like the chiseled Adonis with abs and the viper back and all of that, then you'd be pretty certain that she would be a looker. And if you, if you, if you doubt this, I invite you, my friends, I just invite you to, you know, wherever you are, go to the mall, go to the fun fair, go wherever you want to go, go to the airport and have a look at couples. This is not brain surgery. It's not complicated. The attractive man is with the attractive woman. The average man is with the average woman. And the ugly man is with the ugly woman. And the fat man often is with the fat woman. This is not brain surgery. This is just the way that we apes happen to mate. Now, I'm trying to elevate all of that with reason and evidence and values and, and, and philosophy and all that. But this is kind of where, where things are at the moment. A Kardashian female is not going for a rumpled garbage man. It's just not the way that things shake out. So given that attractiveness tends to parallel attractiveness, then if you're going to go for nine and a half, you can go for nine and a half, but you've got to have some way of closing the gap. Otherwise, you're going to end up disappointed. And that's now, it can be humor, it can be income, it can be prestige, it can be status, it can be family connections, it can be um, wicked intelligence, it can be being an engaging storyteller, it can be being the life of the party, it can be overwhelming charisma, it, it can be any number of things. But if you want to get to the Mount Olympus of the nine and a halfs, you got to bring some jetpack if you yourself ain't a nine and a half. I just sort of am pointing that out uh, as a basic way to not get your heart broken and to recognize how sexual politics work. So I just wanted to sort of throw that little bit out there. Once you see it, it's, you, you can't unsee it, and it's, it's very, very clear, and you should guide yourself according to those values. Okay, so let's talk about your mom. All right. So when your, you say your parents said that you have um, to apologize to this woman and be friends with her again... When you say your parents, who, in fact, are you referring to? Are you referring to your mom, your dad, equally both, or what? Equally both. Do you think that the impulse came from them equally both? I Here's what I think. It's just what I saw, but most of it was coming from my mom, and my dad was just going along with it. Of course. Of course. Of course. Okay, so I knew that. I just needed you to say it. Because remember I said earlier, let's, but enough about your mom. Yep. Okay. So, why does your mom want you to be a slave to a woman and lie to your mom and lie to this woman and pretend to be her friend and apologize to her for something you have nothing to apologize for? You were attracted I to this woman. You asked her out. She said no. You moved on. There's no problem with that. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not a stalker. You're not no. somebody who's just floating around like some beta orbiter, hoping that if you help her move enough furniture and help her with her computer configuration problems enough, you're going to get some. I mean, you, you, you did a frank and decent thing. You acted honorably and honestly in your life. You're attracted to a woman. You put yourself out there. You asked her out. She said no. And you're moving on. There's nothing wrong with that. I'd have no idea what you would have to apologize for. I think for my mom, when I've looked into her dating history, apparently she would friend zone quite a few guys in her day. 
and the guy she ended up with, my dad, he was not her friend to begin with. In fact, she quite hated the guy for a while. And she only agreed to go on a date with him when he told her, I have some tickets for the hockey game. And my friend was supposed to go with me, but he he backed out. Would you like to go since I don't want to waste $100? And she's like, fine, I'll go with you. And then she found out my dad ever bought the tickets when he bought them right at the stadium. And then after that... Wait, your father lied? Wait, wait. Your father lied to get your mom on her first date with him? Pretty much. Wait, wait. What do you mean pretty much? What part of that is not a lie? I'm sorry. I mean, it's exactly a lie or trickery or however you want to phrase it. But that's how my dad got my mom to go on a date with him. Oh, man, that's great. Oh, my goodness. That is wonderful. I mean, on so many conceivable levels, which we'll spend a few minutes unpacking, but that is an absolutely delightful story. Yep. Your mother hated him. He lied to her, and then she fell in love with him. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, nothing wrong with her. That sounds perfectly healthy. (laughs) That sounds straight up. Page full of happiness, mental health. Well, I do hate you and find you vile and repulsive, but now that you've lied to me, wee! I'm going to stick my heels in my earrings. (laughs) Oh, man. That is just something else. (sighs) All right. How's their relationship? They've been married for, let's see, I think it's, Year 37 now. So that's the marriage not, That's has, not the answer. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they're still married, but just, you know, not everyone who has a job for 20 years is still happy in that job. Oh, they're very happy with each other. So they're very if happy with each other. What? They're very happy with each other? Yes. All right. All right. Very, uh, even more, the plot doth thicken, my, my friend. Now, was your mother very pretty? She was pretty when she was young. I saw photos of her in very gorgeous redhead. She was also the quintessential bookworm or nerd. So she got a lot of good grades. And part of the reason why she didn't like my dad was my dad was a slacker but he knew how to manipulate the school system, knew how to find what a teacher was looking for, and would give that to the teacher. So my dad would put in a fraction of the work and get better grades than my mom, and she just did not like that. Wait, seriously? <laughs> You're trolling me, man, aren't you? I'm not trolling you. you are, you've got to be trolling me. Come on. Your dad's a slacker and a cheat and a liar, and she's like, hey, let's have children. That's pretty much how it happened. They have a great relationship. (laughs) Okay, how handsome is your dad? Or was your dad, I guess. You could say maybe he still is. I would say he was about an eight or so. Back when he still had his hair. 
And what would you rate her? She would either be an eight or a nine. Right. Right. And how has your dad done as a whole? In life, um, financially? He's upper or not upper, um, middle, middle class. So pretty well, right? Yeah. We right. were able to, we lived on a house with 20 acres, so. Right. This was back when housing was cheaper and land was cheaper, but that's still not a half bad place to put your claim on. So now, my friend, we know probably why your mother... See, here's my basic issue. Your parents want you to lie to the woman. Right? Yep. They want you to apologize to her when you haven't done anything wrong. And that's not good, right? Doesn't However, lead to a of course... Relationship. Yeah. However... Of course your mother wants you to lie to the woman because your father lying to her backed her, got her. Yep. So she's like, well, you were honest, that was the problem, but if you go back and lie to her, things, I don't know if she thinks things might improve because your father being a manipulator and a cheat and lying to me worked, worked well for me, right? Yep. Does your mother genuinely believe, or sorry, let me put it this way, does your mother accept that your heart may very well be broken if you stay friends with this woman. I've tried telling her that many times, and it's like talking to a brick wall on that. It's just not going to get through anytime soon. So why doesn't your mother care about your heart being broken? Because she says the way I treat the girl by refusing to be friends with her, that was unthinkable. It was... Something that would get you posted on Nuremberg or something like that. Nure Nuremberg? Like well, that Nuremberg escalated trials. quickly. <laughs> Wait, she's comparing <laughs> you not wanting to be friend-zoned with being a Nazi war criminal? Um, she never said Nuremberg. That's just... Oh, that's your... Okay. ...trying to make a point about it. All right, okay. Okay, got it. So why... Does she not care about your heart being broken? Or why does she want to put you in a situation where your heart's going to be broken? I think it's essentially her valuing, or <clears throat> valuing the girl's comfort more than her own kids, but I don't know for sure. Well, why do you think she cares more about this anonymous girl's feelings if they're even confirmed as, as she, she may be like, oh, well, you know, that's a shame, but that's all right. Why does she care about this anonymous girl? She's never met the girl, right? Why does she care about this girl more than her own son? It's kind of incomprehensible to me. I... Don't know. She always told me back in her day that when somebody got rejected that was trying to be more than a friend, it was the polite thing to re be a friend still, even if you weren't going to get any relationship out of it. Oh, so she's very much into being polite. 
Yes. So, you know, being polite... Sorry, go ahead. Even though being polite's actually causing more harm than it's stopping. Well, being polite has a lot to do, of course, with being thoughtful and considerate about the feelings of others, right? Right. Why aren't you one of those others whose feelings she is thoughtful and considerate about? That's the kicker. I don't know. Yes, you do. Because if you don't know the motivations of your own mom, you will not be successful with women in general. This is one of the great thorny barriers that people with dysfunctional moms, not putting your mom in that category, although I might, but (laughs) if you have a dysfunctional mom, you have to understand your mother in order to be successful with women. Otherwise, you're not just flying blind, you're flying upside down, Uh, and blind in reverse gravity with all your instrumentation backwards. You have to understand the motivations of your mother. I would say dysfunctional or not, although it's easier if your mom's not dysfunctional. You have to understand the motivations of your own mother in order to be successful with women. And by successful, I mean sustainably in love with a woman, not just have sex with or have short-term series of relationships. You must plumb the depths of your own mother's motivations. You must understand her. Before you can be successful with women, and this is why I'm pressing you about your mom. Could it have anything to do with the fact that she friendzoned many guys herself and none of them left her? And I'm the first guy that she's ever heard of just flat out ignoring the friend zone and trying to go somewhere else. Could that have anything to do with it? It certainly could, but the problem is, at least I assume, perhaps even hope, my friend, that you don't know a huge amount about your mom's friends zoning dating history and so on. It's pretty vague. Right. Right. Okay. So, she friend zoned a lot of guys, and why do you think women friend zone men? Pretty much, in simple terms, you're not good enough. No. That's not why you get friends. That may be why you get rejected. But friend zoning is not the same as rejection. All right. You're not good enough to date, but you're good enough to give me resources still. Yeah, yeah. See, there we go, right? That's it. That's it. That's it. So a woman will friend zone a man because she likes the attention. She likes the free stuff. She likes the resources. She likes the positive feedback, she likes having to someone to, to talk to. It, it validates her primal desire for male attention. Now, it's profoundly manipulative, it's profoundly exploitive, it's profoundly cruel, and if Karl Marx had had any sensitivity towards male feelings or gender relations, then he would have written capitalism well with a slightly different first syllable. <laughs> which would be women exploiting men. I just, you know, I was was just thinking the other day, I was today, actually thinking today about this mythical wage gap. Ooh, the wage gap. Women earn 75 cents on the dollar for men. It's like, well, but men take a lot of that extra money and give it to women, right? Give it to women. Yep. And that is something quite important to understand. Because... Yeah, okay, 75 cents uh, women make on the dollar, but women make more than 80% of financing decisions or purchasing decisions within a family. 
So they don't make as much money, but they sure spend a heck of a lot more money than men do. And the and exploitation of life. the exploitation of men by women is something that is still a fairly unexplored territory in most thinking because of the women are wonderful phenomena and the closing of the phalanx of female in-group preference. But yes, women can exploit the living crap out of men. And most men have at one time or another, if you've had a robust dating life, most, time, most men at one time or another have been in the orbit of a woman who wants all the privileges of dating, but none of the commitment of dating. In other words, she wants you to take her out. She wants you to come over and help her with stuff. She wants you to set up her stereo, if people still even do that. And she wants to talk to you about all of her problems and so on, although she doesn't really want to hear about yours. But she doesn't want to give you exclusive dating rights or maybe any dating rights at all. And that kind of like somebody who wants to, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, when you're younger, everyone gets together to help you move. But then when you get older, certainly over 30, you, you pay movers, right? You pay movers. Yep. Or as they say in the UK, removers. And I had a friend of mine, uh, this is, uh, I, was over, I was a little bit over 30, and he's like, hey man, I'm moving, I'm moving my condo, can you come over and help me? And I'm like, no, <laughs> because you have a job, and once you have a job, you pay for movers, you don't ask your friends to come and do it, because you're not 12 anymore. And he's hey, like, well, wait a minute, you go to the gym, you work out, and I'm like, yeah, but that's just for show. <laughs> the muscles aren't there for actually moving stuff. Good lord, what are you, crazy? <laughs> So, yeah, there is a lot of exploitation of women. And, and this translates with the power of the state into this rampant gynocracy that is inviting in uh, a medieval patriarchy, like all, all, all the kind of stuff that's going on. So, did your mother have a career that contributed more or less equally to the household in which she, she was? She was the primary breadwinner in our household. It was... Sort of a weird situation. Wait, who was? My mom was the primary breadwinner. It was a reverse situation. My dad would took a few years off of his work to help raise me and my brother and homeschooled us. And then when we were about oh in our mid teens, that's when we went to a charter school. So my dad was was the primary teacher of me and my brother. That's very cool, man. That's very cool. Oh, yes. And because of that, that's one reason why I'm able to see through a lot of the BS at the college, because I'm able to... My, the most important thing my dad taught me was how to think. Well, and this is why you didn't get friend-zoned. What? Oh, well, that's why, why you didn't I... get friend-zoned by yep. this woman. I mean, when you, sorry, just before we get more into the family stuff, I've, I forgot to ask this earlier. Can you tell me how the conversation went, more or less, when you asked the woman out? Um, it went, uh, listen, I appreciate you helping me try to get the RA job. I know you, that wasn't an easy thing to do, and... I really appreciate the support you've been giving me all these months after my last relationship didn't end well. I'm beginning to like you more than a friend. Would you like to go out with me and do some bowling on Wednesday? 
And she said, Oh, I'm so sorry. I absolutely apologize. You cut out there for about 30 seconds. And uh, the last question that I asked was, if you could um, uh, just give me, go over the, um, this, this, the conversation you had with the woman. I apologize for asking you to redo it, but uh, you just cut out there for a second. All right. Is it recording now? We are all set. Okay. It was essentially, I was quite happy with her helping me try to get the RA job and her support she had been giving me for the few months after my last relationship ended. So I told her, you know, I'm beginning to develop more feelings than just friendship with you. I like to take you out on a bowling date, say Wednesday. Would that work for you? And then that's when she told me that all she saw me as was a friend. Bowling. Yes. Does she like bowling? She does. Interesting. Well, um... Plus, I didn't want to go with the traditional dinner route. I wanted to have something that was fun and engaging. Right. Okay. Okay. And what was her phrase exactly? She said, um, what does she say in more detail? She said she was sorry about that, but she doesn't see me that way. She only sees me as a friend, and she's sorry for hurting my feelings. And if I need any help, she's always there for me. And I told her, I don't see you as a friend. I see you as something more. But continuing a friendship with you at this point is just going to cause more hurt for both of us. Right. So, and how did she respond to that? She was pretty understanding of it. I told her the best way she can help me is if she leaves me alone. And she said she'll respect my wishes. And she hasn't tried to contact me since then. Do you know if she had any other men she was interested in or she had a boyfriend? I guess you assume that she didn't have a boyfriend or anything like she that. She did not have a boyfriend, but I had suspicions she liked one medical student. <laughs> See, remember I was saying you got to close the two-point gap somehow? Yep. I'm guessing MD, uh, two letters, two points, right? Pretty much. Now, and I'm not sure how your... rich the guy was. No, but I, I mean, there's future potential there. And what was your, what's your degree in? I was essentially becoming a teacher. So, not going to compete against a medical I see. So you've got teacher versus doctor, right? Yep. Right. Right. And what was she studying? International studies, which is essentially for our college, how to be a diplomat for working with other nations. Huh. Well, I will say this. Um, She's very diplomatic, right? I mean, there's certainly worse ways. The classes are paying off. Yeah, no, I mean, or she just has a, a bent that way, right? Yep. So the question is, why does your mother get upset that you were interested in this woman? 
And I, you know, she seems to have, I got to be honest with you. I mean, she's, she's, she seems to have particular qualities that are actually nice. Desirable. Positive, right? Yep. I mean, she's sensitive, she's thoughtful, she's respectful and so on. And she certainly knows what she wants. So it yep. was not just a sexual attraction to the woman, right? No, when oh. I pick out girls I want to date, looks matter, but I also want to know what their personality and character is like, because after a while, you can have the prettiest girl in the world, but if her personality looks like Jabba the Hutt, it's just not going to work. Yeah, um, t- time washes away the watercolor of pretty and shows the feral Palpatine mask underneath pretty quickly. And so, there's no unlimited power there. <laughs> okay, so why does your mother think basically that you were only thinking with your dick with regards to this woman? Why does your mother think that it was the woman's mere sex appeal that was the only reason you asked her? Out? Because maybe it reminds her too much of what she did. And in the past where with my dad, how he was able to just trick her onto liking him. That seems kind of vague to me. Let's try this way. Why did your father ask your mother out? Primarily because she was pretty. Right. Has your mother used her looks, sorry to interrupt, has your mother used her looks throughout her life to get ahead? I don't know when me and my brother were born, her looks had deteriorated pretty badly. So when she actually had to use her brain and stuff to get ahead, I don't know what she was doing before we were born. Right. Tell me about your mother's virtues. Extremely hardworking and extremely intelligent. How those, it's a double-edged sword because those are also her greatest weaknesses as well. She'd be more focused on working and trying to get ahead in the workspace and spending time with the family. I remember there would be many days where she would go home, grab a bite to eat at the dinner table, and then straight up to her office to work the rest of the night. And she would do that for a few weeks every month. So really, it was a lot of time with your dad and not so much time with your mom, right? My dad was the main person that would help us. Now, I know my mom cared about me, but she thought that care should be providing a lot of money to the household, and that's how she would show her care rather than balancing out between work and showing more parental care to her kids directly. Okay, so those aren't virtues. You know, Hitler was hardworking. (laughs) The guy (laughs) barely took a day off. So hardworking is not a virtue. Making money... Not necessarily a virtue. really depends on, on how and how balanced it may be, particularly if you're a mom. So let's try again her virtues.
Um, let's see. She would was very tenacious on accomplishing tasks. She would say you need to stand your ground if you want to get anything in life. And not a virtue. It's amoral. Okay. Hitler stood his ground for getting what he wanted in life. And that cost him many battles. <laughs> well. So virtues. Well, I would say the starting off that she actually loved my dad and didn't do the typical divorce settings that's all too common with typical households could count as a virtue and she I remember when I was trying to apply for college she was the one that was helping me apply for all these scholarships and I did get a few scholarships so I was able to graduate college without debt which would not have been possible without her she also helped me get jobs with one of the companies she was working with by giving good word of mouth. So in the business world, she was quite good at helping me get my foot in the door. Okay. I mean, didn't divorce your dad. That's not the pinnacle of Socratic virtues. But, um, you know, helping you get into college, well, that's nice, sure. A guidance counselor could have done some of that. And, of course, she does benefit directly financially from you not being in debt and getting you started in your life. Uh, that's nice. Um, but to make a sort of silly point, you know, like a mafia boss will help his son get started in the business, so to speak, right, will we'll be <laughs> engaged in his success. So I'm looking for characteristics that are singular to virtue and not to, say, pair-bonded mammals. Singular to human virtues. And by that, I mean integrity and courage and compassion and, and strength and uh, 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 some sort of charitable stuff that's not just vanity. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just kind of virtues that are really admirable that can't be reproduced by amoral or evil people. All right. Um, when she was working for the... Um, up, they're rather corrupt, and there was a one point where they wanted her to cook the books, essentially, and she flat out refused to do it, and as a result, she ended up being fired. That's one example of her displaying some honesty. All right. And, so uh, go ahead. Go ahead. And. It was that honesty in the workforce that caused her to bounce around through quite a few jobs. Because there was another one which was essentially doing the same thing. And they were essentially trying the same thing. So she stood her ground, got fired, and moved on to the hospital. And... When she arrived, the hospital was in pretty much in financial ruins. And in a, 
about three years, she got from one of the poorest hospitals to one of the most profitable hospitals. Then the management changed, and they didn't like her, and then they got rid of her doing that. Now she's working at another hospital as the... And right now, things seem to be stable, but I don't know how long that will last. So is it fair to say that uh, she has suffered from the virtue of honesty or integrity in these business dealings? I would say so. So I guess I just have one question then. If she values honesty so much, why does she want you to lie to this woman and pretend to be her friend when you don't want to be? If, if that's a value. If you value honesty, why does she want you to lie? Because maybe her getting fired from jobs for being honest reminds her that honesty doesn't always pay in the world. And if you want something, lying for it is the better option than being openly honest about it. You mean if you want something in the world, like, say, your father wanted your mother, lying is the way to go about it? Yes. Because if she valued honesty, why would she marry a man who lied and cheated? <laughs> or manipulated, if we want to put it more nicely. Yep. I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. Why does she want to put you in harm's way? Because if you really care for this woman, if you, if you want to date her, how are you supposed to be friends with her when she starts saying, oh, I'm really interested in this other guy. Oh, I think he's going to ask me out. Oh, you know what? I've decided to go ask him out. Oh, we're going on a date. Ironically, we're going bowling. And you're like, yay. Like, how on earth can you be honest and in an authentic relationship with a woman that you want to date? You can't, she and... is going to be dating other people. How on earth are you supposed to free up your heart for another woman if you're stuck in the orbit of the woman you're still attracted to? Because it's not like your heart's not just going to go like, well, you know, we're just friends now. Great, I'm going to pack up and rewind, and everything's going to be just like I never got attracted to her in the first place. Like, how, how is she expecting you to move on, how is she expecting you to be honest, and how the hell is she expecting you to be happy by commanding you to go to apologize for asking a woman out? Holy God! How humiliating! Your mom says you have to apologize to a woman for asking her out and then not wanting to get stuck in the friend zone? Holy crap! Yep. And how is she expecting you to move on and be happy if you're orbiting this woman you're really attracted to? If she goes and dates someone else, which she will, she's a nine and a half, she's going to orbit the MD probably, and they're going to end up dating. What are you supposed to do? Like go along as a third wheel? Like, this is great. Can I hold your coat? I think I may have some condoms for you guys. Let me just check my pockets here. Is the, I How, know myself. What is the plan here for your heart and your protection? I don't think there's a plan at all, to be honest. Because to me, it seems quite obvious that this is a terrible idea, but 
no matter how many times I try to explain it to her, it just doesn't get through. And I know so she's I, a terrible listener, and she doesn't really care about what happens to you, and she's certainly willing to put you in a situation to satisfy her belief system or ideology that puts you directly in harm's way of heartbreak. Yep. What does your father say? Have you had a chance to ch chat with your father privately about this? I have, and he says he knows that it's every girl's right to refuse a guy's advances if he wants, and Conversely, he also says it's all right for a guy to refuse friendship from a girl if he doesn't want it. But he says what I'm doing isn't exactly the best thing because if I'm friends with this girl, she can introduce me to other girls. But ah. <laughs> Whoa, he's quite a manipulator, isn't he? He hasn't lost that habit. No. However, my problem with that idea, besides the fact that it's blatantly dishonest, is if the girl knows that you're only hanging around her to be friends or to date her friends, she's certainly not going to give you a good image to her friends. Well, no, I, I think your father is saying, listen, son, if you're really manipulative and falsify your entire relationship, you can end up with a girl like mom. Because that's <laughs> what I did, and it worked super well. All right. I mean, that's fair. He's saying, go be manipulative. Go falsify. Go lie. Go misrepresent. Because that's what worked for him. Been married 37 years, right? Yep. So, it all comes down to one foundational question, my friend. And what the foundational is that question, question that you must answer, as all men must answer over time. Foundational question. Do you want to marry a woman like your mother? No. Right. Then you have to figure out what's wrong with her for you or objectively. Because look, if you have a great mom, then you want a woman who's like your mom. There's nothing eatable about it, nothing weird about it. It's just natural. Those are the virtues that you want in a wife because you saw you had a great mom, she's honest and caring and courageous and, and thoughtful and loving and, you know, like, it's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Get someone like that and you're going to be happy, right? Right. Now, if you don't want someone like your mom, you have to figure out what's wrong with her so that you know what to avoid and what to pursue, right? All right. So. What's wrong with her? I would say the primary thing that's wrong with her is her attitude of success at any cost. Go on. Um, where you're willing to sacrifice family time and try to manipulate people or use them to the best benefit of yourself just so you can get that extra promotion or get ahead in life and 
I've seen that in the world, and I always know that short-term-wise, that's a good idea, but long-term, it's only going to lead to more misery and unhappiness. And what misery and unhappiness has it led to for your mother? Um, the fact that she has a hard time trusting people, hard time making friends herself. I remember one time when she was in the one of the jobs and her what she thought was a friend betrayed her so she could get a better position. And my mom was pretty crushed about that for a long time. So she was betrayed by someone who backstabbed her in the corporate climb, right? Yes. Right. 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 Why do you think she chose work over her family so much? It would have to probably do with the way she was raised. My mom's parents were as poor as church mice. And to compound matters, they had eight or nine children. I can't remember exactly, but it was a whole lot of kids. And as a result, it was hard to get. There was always shortages of food and it was paycheck to paycheck. That was her experience growing up. And as the oldest child, she had to take care of the other eight siblings. So hmm. her entire life growing up, she believed that accumulating lots of wealth and getting a high position would lead to a happier life. And was she right, do you think? Um, partially. I think she had a part of it, but not the whole thing. You do need some money to take care of your basic living expenses and in case an emergency happens. But if your sole life or your whole point in life is just to further your work career, I think you're missing the other parts such as your family or life experiences or just being content if you're always yeah, searching to get that next position no matter the cost it hollows you out inside and is she a feminist she has feminist tendencies she b fully believes in the pay gap and what's her relationship to female beauty these days Feminists do not have a very positive relationship to female beauty in general, to put it mildly. Um, I would say she's certainly looking like a feminist. She's definitely lost her thinness, to say it politely. And however, she still thinks... That if a girl's pretty, a girl's pretty, and she won't attack him on that. What influence does your father have over your mother's more extremes in personality? And I say that because one of the great things about marriage is you get that kind of feedback. You know, like, I remember when I was about 12, I used to go to Camp Bolton. I actually ended up modeling for them. <laughs> 
in a photo shoot. But <laughs> I used to go to Camp Bolton and I stayed in a cabin and I would be up there like half the summer sometimes. A pretty nice place, pretty cool place. But I remember I hadn't seen a mirror for like a week or something like that. And we were going over to, I don't know, have lunch with the girl's side or something like that. And I finally I looked in a mirror somewhere and I had like a couple of pimples on my forehead. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> you'd think I'd have noticed that, but I hadn't seen a mirror. So you kind of, if you're not in a marriage, you're not in a relationship with people who are honest with you, you kind of lose track, you become like a vampire. There's no reflection. You can't tell. I didn't know I had pimples until I saw them in the mirror. <laughs> you know, you lick your finger and you rub your pimples like that's magic. It's going to change everything. Just pop a few of them and the problem goes away. Yeah, except it doesn't. <laughs> it makes it worse. <laughs> but uh, that, that's a deferral of gratification. That's like the teenager's marshmallow test is do you pop them or not? But um, <laughs> so when you're in a relationship, when you're married in particular, then you have a partner who's going to say, you know, you've gone a bit too far this way. Let's rein it in over here. You know, the balancing act. And you do it back and forth, right? Yep. And it's one of the reasons single moms end up overweight so much. So does your father have any... Have you seen him be assertive and say, now nah, there's too much of this, so you've got to dial it back a little here? It may happen privately, but, you know, in general, when you get older, you probably would have seen it at some point or another. In other words, oh, yes. does your father I... have authority with regards to your mom? He does. Um, he definitely never let her walk over him at all. And if she was... My mom had an issue where if she found something that was... One of the rooms was unclean or something, or it was a bit junky. She would make a big deal out of it, and my dad would simply just say, I'll get to it when I get to it, not a second sooner. And if you bring it up again, it's not going to make it get any cleaner. And she would generally back off. My dad also kept my mom from killing herself through work. Um... During one or more stressful periods, she was working 18 hours some days, and it was literally killing her. And my dad finally said, you need to quit this job or else you're not going to be alive much longer. And I'm tired of hearing your bad days at work all the time. So my dad was able to convince my mom to tamper down the hours, relax some, and she was actually getting happier as a result of it strange i know and all right now eventually... sorry to interrupt now how about with regards to you i don't know if you have siblings but with regards to you did he stand up to your mother with regards to interests that affected you um like when i would make mistakes and stuff and my mom would get upset about the mistake my dad said it's a mistake he didn't mean it and if you're not making mistakes you're not learning and after he talked to her she was much more lenient on that till the next mistake happened all right and go ahead and my dad was also the one that introduced me to the shooting sports 
he was the one that set up many shooting range. Actually, not many, but two shooting ranges. Taught me how to shoot and helped me get to the Olympic Training Center, as well as helping me become the national pistol champion. Right. The reason I'm asking this is why your mother is lecturing you about how to date or not date is beyond me. You know why? Because she's a mom. So why she would be lecturing you about dating versus like you should do this or you should that's a dad thing sorry ladies it's a guy thing you don't get it you don't understand you're like a 55 year old woman and you're talking about a 20 odd year old young man you don't get it not your wheelhouse not where the pipe is laid in your brain so to speak so i have no idea why your mother would be lecturing you about how to date women she hasn't done it in close to 40 years. She, well, she hasn't been on the dating scene in close to 40 years. What the hell would she know about any of it, right? Yeah. And so your father, if I understand that he's able to stand up to your mom, which is good. So wouldn't your father say, hey, honey, appreciate the feedback. I got this. It's a guy thing. You wouldn't understand. Maybe you don't understand. That's no problem. Like, I'm going to assume that the shooting is a little bit of a guy thing. Maybe she's not. You're going to put an eye out, right? A Christmas story. But we it's like, this is a guy it. thing. Well, why, why are you, you lecturing my son on how to date women? You've never dated women. You haven't dated anyone in 40 years. It's not dating advice. That's archaeology. Like, why isn't he just telling her to back the hell off? Because... Her goals sort of intertwine with his idea of dating because he thinks, once again, that if I'm friends with her, that will help me get more girls. Wait, is that her perspective or his? His. Do you agree with him? I do not agree with that. Okay, so then the last question I have is this. Why do you keep talking to your mom about this? Like you say, you keep talking about it, she's like a brick wall. You keep talking about it, she doesn't listen. What's wrong with just saying, Mom, love you, but sorry, my life, my dating advice. Like, no, 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 no. You, you, you have not successfully dated a young woman these days, so no thanks. Thanks for the advice. Appreciate the feedback. Not, not for me. Like, why do you want to keep explaining yourself? Explaining yourself to people is like pissing up into a strong wind. All right. So why why do you why do you care if she gives you bad advice? I guess that's my question. It's it's bad advice. It's terrible advice, hurtful advice, destructive advice to you and to the woman. So why do you care that she approves of your dating habits? I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't care what your parents think. We all do. But fundamentally, why do you need to keep explaining this to her? I mean, she's wrong. She's allowed to be wrong. You're allowed to know that she's wrong. I mean, why is this still the topic? 
Um, essentially, it, she'll bring this up anytime I try to date another girl, and I get either a short-term relationship or I get rejected. And then she'll bring up that I need to be friends with them before I have any hope of ever dating them. But then you say, Mom, you weren't friends with Dad. So what are you talking about? You hated Dad and he lied to you and you married him and gave him children. What are you talking about? You crazy woman? This is the exact <laughs> opposite of what worked for you. Are you saying that you shouldn't have married Dad because he lied to you? What are you talking about? All right. I mean, how would she respond? I mean, <laughs> he lied to her. Um, He's a manipulator. She married him. <laughs> what is she talking about? I don't understand. I know how she'd respond if I pulled that up. She would pretty much say, I don't know what I'm talking about, and that doesn't apply. That's not an argument, woman. <laughs> That's how a lot of her arguments are with my no, dad. No, they're not arguments. You say that honesty is a value. You married the first man who lied to you. Give me a break. Like, this is like a shit test, right? This is like, I'm going to give you the exact opposite advice that worked for me. <laughs> okay. So you want me to marry someone who, who's very much different than you, which means you're saying that you're not a good wife and I should get someone different. Okay. But let's at least be upfront about it. All right. As for I mean, that, why I keep... <laughs> that'd be like my mom saying, the important thing is not to put ads in random American newspapers and meet every creep south of the Arctic Circle. I, was like, I mean, come on. If she wants you to do the opposite of what worked with your father, you kind of need to be upfront about that because that's kind of radical advice, right? <laughs> do the opposite of what produced you as a child. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> Um, I think the reason why I try to, um, prove myself to them is they're my parents and I've been raised essentially to try to always seek approval from them and part of growing up is you have to realize that you don't always need their approval on everything. That's way too much power to give to anyone, right? Yep. I mean, uh, listen, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, I'm a son, and, and I understand that. I have a daughter, and she wants to please me. And it's, uh, But you, you, you can't give people that much power that they have to validate and approve everything that you do. That's just not healthy, right? Especially now no, that you're it adults. Is not. And, and also, look, it's one thing. It's one thing if society hadn't changed enormously in the past 40 years, right? Right. But it's a different planet out there. And I, I get these comments too, right? Like I talk about dating and people are like, you haven't dated for a while, dude. You know, it's a different world out there. And I'm, you know, researching and trying to sort of get up to speed and literally getting up to speed on how many kids are using speed these days. <laughs> so it is, uh, they don't have much value to offer you in the dating world because it's so different now than it used to be on every conceivable level. Sexual mores are different. 
uh, rampant pornographic use uh, is is different. Uh, you have uh, kids who are heavily drugged. Uh, single mother uh, kids are all over the place these days. Like, I mean, school quality has declined enormously. Massive amounts of multiculturalism and you know hyper racial sensitivities. And so, I mean, it's it's a whole different world out there. And the idea that they, I mean, it'd be one thing if they said do what worked for us, but if they say to you having been out of the game for 40 years, do the opposite of what worked for us, then I don't know, what, are they trying to make you fail? Like, I don't quite, like, that's just weird. Eh. And listen, it's perfectly fair, it's perfectly fair to say to your mom, don't bring this up again. I don't want you to bring this up again. I, you know, I appreciate that you thought about it, but now it's, it's bugging me. It's upsetting me. And frankly, at some point, if I keep listening to this, it's going to start interfering with my confidence. I'm sorry that you're stuck in it. We can have a conversation about why you're stuck in it. But you are not bringing this up again with me. This is not healthy. This is not helpful. And it's entirely hypocritical because you're telling me to go be honest. Well, actually, you're telling me to go and lie to a girl, which I don't want to do. Maybe dad working, maybe dad lying worked for you, but that's not how I want to have a relationship start. It's, it's called boundaries, right? Boundaries are where right. you say, no, I'm not talking about this. This is not a topic that I want to get into with you anymore. I'm tired of it. It's not helping me. It's annoying me. So please stop. Now, a healthy person will say, let's talk about why it's bothering you. Let's talk about why I feel the need to bring it up. Like, but, but they won't just say, they won't just blow past it. Pretend you didn't say anything in the next five minutes and bring it up again. That's really unhealthy. And then it means escalation. It means escalation. And, you know, I'm sorry if people want to escalate, but you draw boundaries. If they walk right through those boundaries, you've got to draw boundaries in fire. And then if they walk through those boundaries, you've got to draw boundaries in walls. And then if they walk through those boundaries, you understand, right? You just have to keep escalating until you get your space, you get your respect, and you get your presence in the relationship. People who walk over you, people who blow past things that you don't want to talk about or are uncomfortable with or don't like, those people are attempting to erase you. They're attempting to drive your personality out of your body so that you're there just as utility for them, as poison containers sometimes, as Lloyd DeMoss talked about. So no, you can say no. It's healthy. It's right. And your parents can say no to you. You're all adults now. You can say no. Listen, parents have this with children. When children first roughhouse, they don't know when to stop. And you say, okay, that's too hard. And then maybe they'll roughhouse again. And you have to be very firm and say, listen, when I say stop, we stop. When you say stop, we stop. Like if you're tickling a ki your, your kid and, and the kid says stop, you stop. All because right. you don't want them to have to escalate just to get you to listen to them. And if you can't have boundaries in your relationship, guess what? You can't have a relationship. You don't have a relationship if you don't have boundaries because there's not two people there who are exercising will and sovereignty. And in my particular experience, women are not great at respecting boundaries. Men, true, not great either, but a little bit more on the female side. And as females have gained power politically, guess what? No boundaries in countries. Anyone can wander in and out. And... Because boundary violations for men historically came with a lot of aggression. 
right? Like if we've all had this experience, you bump into some big guy in a bar and you're like, hey man, I'm sorry, you know? <laughs> oh, a little guy doesn't, I'm sorry, man. It didn't, because you want to establish that it was not an act of provocation. It wasn't an act of boundary violation because you're attempting to dominate. But women, a woman bumps into the man, what's he like, hey, <laughs> give me a broken pool cue, I'm settling this. Like, so for men, boundary violations could escalate very quickly into physical violence. And so men have just become, hey, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. But in my experience, when you say you don't want to talk about something with a woman, present family accepted, right? She's just like, oh, oh, there's a secret. I must find my way in. You know, like the um, Bluebeard's, the story of Bluebeard's castle, right? Like the, he says, you got this giant castle, hypergamy for the win. You got this giant castle, there's just one door. One door, I don't want you to go through. And what does she do? I got to get through that door. Boundaries, 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 right? Yep. So when it comes to this, just say no. Don't want to talk about it. Not helpful, not useful. It's annoying me. Stop. Now, people will then ask you to justify. Well, why? Don't so they want to talk about it without talking about it, right? It's like, it bothers me. Well, why does it bother you? It just bothers me. Well, you have to tell me why. No, I don't actually have to tell you why. It bothers me. So don't do it because it's bothering me. It's not helpful. But you got to tell me why. I actually don't, right? The whole point of boundaries is you don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to explain right. yourself. You just don't want a particular form of behavior around you. Now, if you feel like explaining yourself or exploring it, great, but you don't have to. So that would be my suggestion is if this is an unhelpful conversation for you, if it is confusing and baffling and annoying, just say no. Draw a clear line. Say, I don't like it when you bring this up. Well, why? Doesn't matter. I don't like it. Well, you have to tell me what. No, I don't. Please stop bringing it up. You can say, please stop bringing it up and then stop bringing it up. And then if they keep bringing it up, you get up and you walk out. And if they're on the phone and they bring it up again, I'm going to hang up now. And if they won't respect boundaries, you have to train them to respect boundaries by simply disengaging when they violate the boundary. I wish people listened to reason, but sometimes you've got to train them like a puppy with a rolled up newspaper. Oh, you're bringing this up again? Told you about this. Click. Oh, you're bringing this up again? I'm up and out of here. I mean, eventually, hopefully, people get the message. But that would be uh, my suggestion. Um, if people keep bringing up stuff that uh, is annoying. So, appreciate the call. Thanks very much. Let's move on to the next caller. All right. All right. Up next, we have Rob. Rob wrote in and said, I'm new to the show and I'm curious. Given what Stefan says about his past, whether he thinks we as people are just the sum of our experiences. Can we rise above what happened to us as children? And if so... What is it about people that can make them overcome those things? Why can some people overcome a difficult past and some seem to let it drag them down? That's from Rob. Oh, hey, Rob. How you doing? Good. How are you tonight? I'm well. I'm well. I'm well. I'm well. Well, uh, to me, it's, it's a great question. And the best way that I can phrase it is, have you ever been lost like in the woods or something? Um, not, no, not necessarily lost, no. Have you ever, I don't know, your phone died, no GPS or something? Have you ever been lost when you're driving? Like you're driving, trying to drive someplace, you get that uneasy feeling because the street just hasn't shown up yet? 
Yeah, actually, I, I live near a major city, and I, I have felt that way before. Okay. So the question is then, what makes you stop and change your direction? Or at least consult a map or get a car charger for your phone or whatever, right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what, what makes me actually reach that point. Um, I mean, well, you have a destination, I... and you're feeling uneasy about whether you're getting to where you want to get to. Right, so if you're out there lost in the woods. So when I was working as a gold panner, I went out with a co-worker one night and we just, we worked too long. Now we were seriously in the middle of Noma, a place called Dumas Lake, a bit north of Nikina, if I remember rightly. But it was like we had to fly in and we had to land on a, a seaplane, like an ice plane. Landed on skis, and we were there looking for gold. And the plane was coming the next morning, and we had a bunch more holes to drill. So we would drill down with something called a pionja drill, and we would get bedrock because gold is very heavy, so it settles down to the bedrock. So you take a soil sample from the bedrock. If there's gold around, you'll find it when you're panning. And we had a lot of holes to drill, and we... I mean, when it gets dark up there, man, it's seriously dark. And it's funny because, you know, if it's if it's a fairly decent moon and the stars are out, you get shadows. It's like this wonderful blue icing sugar like the winter. And if it's dark, it's really dark. Like if it's cloudy, if there's no moon, I mean, it is like Bilbo in a tunnel. Like you cannot see your hand in front of your face. It's that dark. And you have a flashlight and all that, but it's not hugely helpful. So we had, a, I think it was 10 holes left to drill, and we like it was getting on in the day, and we're like, oh, man, this is, uh, we should head back. Sun's heading down, and uh, we should we should head back. This is long before GPS, anything like that, right? So you get lost. You're lost in minus 30 temperatures, and it's a very difficult night. You, you can't, you got to keep shuffling around. You can't sit down, and it's very unpleasant. And so we're like, we should head back. It's like, oh, man, there's like two more holes to drill. If we head back now, the plane was coming, I think, at 10. So if we head back now, we have to, like, it was a long way back to the tent. And we'd have to get up at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning. We'd have to trek out here. We'd have to do the last two holes. And then we'd have to be back by 10 to be picked up by the plane. And we'd have to pack. Oh, it's just a big mess. So we decided to push on. And we're like, we're going to get these last two holes drilled. And we're drilling, we're drilling, hurrying, but, you know, still wanting to do a good job. And then... Like someone just turned out the lights, the sun was gone. And it's just like, it's like you close your eyes and cover them with your heels. It's like, boom. It's, so we get our flashlights out. Got to thump a little because the batteries don't work that well when it's that cold. We get our drill out, we pack it all up, and we start hiking back. At least we think we are hiking back. Now, you can follow your own snow footprints back. But we didn't come straight from the tent. We'd gone on a big circuitous path. So we didn't know where the hell the tent was. That's a bit of an uneasy feeling, I'll, t I'll tell you that. Like, it's really cold. We're carrying a lot of heavy equipment, and we don't know how to get back to the tent. And suddenly, getting up at 6 in the morning the next morning didn't seem like such a bad thing, because, you know, there's this kind of weird, uneasy feeling when you suddenly realize, well, I'm Standing over a bit of a Grand Canyon of mortality here, right? I don't know. It's just, I've never spent a night 
in that kind of temperature, and it uh, really drops down. And so we decided to head to the lake, to head out onto the lake, which we could sort of find where we sort of shone our flashlights all where the trees thinned down, and we headed out onto the lake. And our, there were two guys, there were four of us in the tent, and the, the two guys who had stayed back to do the gold panning realized that we weren't back. And they did something which I will forever be grateful for, which is that they took one of our um, lamps and they hung it on a tree in front of the tent. The tent was by the lake, the frozen lake. There's an old poem, Among 20 snowy mountains, the only moving thing was the eye of the blackbird. I think it's 19 ways of looking at a blackbird or something like that. And it's the strangest thing. You know, when you've ever been in a really, really dark environment... Like, you know, when you close your eyes, you get these, like, electric boogaloo shimmers and glows and all this kind of stuff that just happens as the after images of whatever. That happens when, you know, the sun goes down, boom, and you're really in the dark. There's, like, these faint slithery-o glowworms crawling across your vision, and everything's kind of jangly, and, and there's little swirls, and, like, I don't know. Nothing's ever completely dark, I guess. And I'm with my friend, and we're like... I think it's this way. It's a really, really uneasy feeling. Of course, it should be an uneasy feeling. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, be, wouldn't be comfortable in that situation. And what happened was, I thought I saw one tiny glimmer of light. But I wasn't sure because, again, your eyes kind of jangled and you got your glowworms and there's like, you know, you look to one side and your peripheral vision to see if you, like, you know how sometimes you can't look at a star directly in the night sky, but if you look a little bit to the left or to the right, you can see it in your peripheral vision. And I'm like, I think that's a light. And he's like, could be. (laughs) Right now, we didn't, we hadn't hung a light out before because nobody had been that late. But anyway, we did start trekking towards it, and eventually uh, it did, you know, we realized what it was, and, uh, you know, we went in and kissed the guy's feet who'd hung it. And, but that really uneasy feeling of like, man, we're kind of out here in the middle of nowhere, and uh, it could be a really, really long and unpleasant night, hungry night, cold, 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 my Lord. That's the kind of cold sometimes, especially if the wind picks up, like, 60 to 120 seconds, your skin can start to freeze. Your eyelids can freeze together if there's wind and you blink. So the reason I'm telling that long story is because I love excavating little bits of my history and preserving them for eternity, but also because that feeling of unease is really, really important. And I think that's what motivates people to change. If you're really confident about where you're going, you don't feel that unease. So the reason why people change out of their broken histories, the reason why people break orbit from dysfunction, is they're uneasy with where they are. Now, for that to occur, I believe there must be a standard of value that they can compare themselves to that they have not been taught to resent. So I, as I've talked about before, knew an upper middle class family that had a nice house, that had a pool, professional, dad, stay-at-home mom, nice family, functional, and I didn't resent them. Now, a lot of people will teach you to resent successful people or rich people or happy people or whatever, right? And those people are your bitter fucking enemies. 
Those people who teach you to hate success, who teach you to hate function, oh, they're such squares, they're so boring, such a suburban nothing lifestyle. Those people are your bitter fucking enemies. They are trying to chain you down to the underworld. They are trying to put you in a decaying orbit that has you flame out in the hot, bloody air of infinite dysfunction. So if you are in the orbit around planet crap hole, if you're surrounded by shitty people with shitty lives, making shitty decisions, pursuing their base satanic lusts, rather than elevating themselves to anything higher and better, if you're in that world, if you're in that underworld, then you know that there's more functional people around you. You probably don't see them on Netflix, but you will see more functional people around you. And what is your relationship to them? Do you hate them? Do you resent them? The Marxists will teach you to hate and resent them. Oh, you're only poor because they're rich. And the other leftists will teach you to resent them. Oh, you see, they're only better off because they're white and you're not white. And they have privilege and they're racists. And if they're black, well, they're just acting white. They're Oreos, Uncle Toms. Or if you have a single mom, then they may say, well, at least she escaped the hellish patriarchy. <laughs> and so there are lots of people, they know, they want to keep you trapped in that underworld. There's great profit for assholes and fear mongers and controllers if they keep you in that underworld. So they know you can see better. They know you can see the little lights in the dark that maybe you should start struggling towards you. But they say, no, 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 no. You see, success is exploitation. Success is racism. Success is evil. Success, material success, emotional success, that's moral failure. Or they say, those happy people are ignoring your misery. They're ignoring your pain. They're dancing and skipping along. Don't they know these terrible things are happening in the world? Don't they know that you're unhappy and everyone else is unhappy? How dare they be happy when you're so unhappy? How horrible, how nasty, how terrible they are. And what they do, you're lost on a frozen lake in the dark, heavily burdened, and they take two wet fingers and... They put out that light that could guide you home, that could guide you to the warmth, that could guide you to companionship, that could guide you out of the wilderness, that could guide you out of being frozen to death overnight. So I, I understand. No, hang I understand. On. Hang okay. on. So this is why I say success is good. Success is something you should aim for. Success is wonderful. And here's how to get there. And... If you are uneasy where you are and you see a path towards something better that you can define as better, that hasn't been poisoned by language, by the soft, serrated syllables of sophistry, then I think you have a chance to change. And uh, Ayn Rand was very, very important, as was Nathaniel Brandon and John Gray and, and uh, John Bradshaw and, and other people who I read, the sort of self-knowledge People, the functional people, functional, decent, good people who said, uh, here's a rope, man, climb your way up. So if you can see something better, you're uneasy with where you are, and somebody gives you something to aim at, 
then you can get there if you want. Now, of course, everyone who's around you, who's stuck in this underworld, who didn't get out, and by definition, if they're older than you, they didn't get out. They don't want you to get out. It'd be like if I was down in a graveyard of all the people who'd never gotten out and they were zombies holding on to me in that frozen lake, desperately not wanting me to get back to the light and the heat and the warmth and the plane back to civilization. So all the people who are in that shitfest and hellscape of a terrible world, dysfunctional world of brutality and exploitation and lust and greed and manipulation and attack and undermining and abuse and uh, all those terrible people stuck in this terrible world, they don't want you to get out. So they'll mock you and they'll attack you and they'll undermine you and they'll, oh, you think you're better than we are? I hope to be. <laughs> I really hope to be. Because you have to look at those people and say, if I'm like that, when I'm 40, I'm putting a bullet in my head. I can't stand that life. That life is hideous to me. It's barely a life. It's a life of reaction. and It's an animalistic life. Lashing out and fucking and drinking and drugging and fighting and screaming. It's just it's a reactive base. It's a life of the spine rather than of the mind. It's a life of the lust rather than of the mind. So there's lots of people who don't want you to get out and they'll try and pull you back down. There are some people who can serve as your examples and there are other people even trying to cut off those good examples. It's a big battle. It's a battle. Angels and the devils, good and evil. Can you get out of hell? You're born into hell. The big question is, there's some leathery rungs, there's a light up top, there's a couple of ropes coming down and there's a lot of people hanging onto your legs chewing like crazy. Can you get out? And the more people who present functionality and a way to get out, the more we can help people, the more we can rescue people, the more we can take people from the clutches of the devils that infest and birth and surround them. And that has been my major mission, to show some functionality, to show interest in people, give them something to aim for if that's what they need, give them methodologies for getting out if that's what they need. And lots of functional people listen to the show, fantastic, great. We have a lot to offer that as well. But for those people who need to get out as I needed to get out, this is how you do it. And once you have a goal and you have a methodology and you have the unease of being where you are, you can get there. But a lot of things need to be in place before you can begin to climb and rise. Okay, that's basically what I wanted to say. Okay, so I, I understand the being taught to resent the functional people by the ones who don't want you to succeed. I definitely, growing up, I always had that feeling of unease, um, especially around family because they were the most dysfunctional for me. But thinking back, I can't, I can't think of a good example of a functional person or family or, or entity that really would have lit that path back to camp for me. So I'm curious if, I don't know, there's some innate, inborn trait that... Wait, wait, wait. We, there was nothing, not even in art, not even in books, not even in, on television, uh, nothing that you saw that was functional? That, that can't be. Uh, there wasn't a lot, um, that was functional. No, 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 see, you said nothing, now there wasn't a lot, and now those two things are radically different, right? Okay, well, I mean, I, I, I guess I should explain, so, um, my parents divorced when I was five, four or five, um, dad was an alcoholic, mom was a drug user, uh, actually, my older brother and me ended up spending a couple years in foster care. Um, got out of foster care. And uh, how was the foster care? 
Um, it's uh, child services when you get uh, taken away from your family and placed in a temporary oh, no, no. home. Sorry, what was the foster care like? Oh, um, so, I mean, I was six when I got placed in, and I was in until I was about nine and a half. So, for me, it was pretty horrible. Um, mostly, um, you know, people that I didn't know, nobody really, I didn't talk to anybody. Um, I spent a lot of time being quiet as a kid. Um, and then about two years in, uh, me and my brother were separated. Um, he ended up going or staying with a, a family that he seemed to really connect with. And I ended up going to a boy's home. And, uh, from there, I mean, it was, I mean, looking back, like it, it wasn't great, but like, I don't, I don't know. It, it's, it's kind of blurry looking back on a lot of the memories. It, it, it wasn't great, but it's not like, like, I don't resent that time because it was just what happened. You don't resent that time because that's just what happened. Well, I, I, I resent, I, I resent the, the, the people like my, my parents, you know, I, I resent the, the foster parents who were kind of, you know, not, not necessarily cruel, but uncaring, but I don't like looking at like me living in foster care. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. Like it, it sucked for sure. I, I wish I would have had a functional childhood, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't. That's the life I knew. I, I didn't know anything else. So, and it's not like I had no, a lot you of did. functional no, people. You did. Of course you did. Of course you knew something else. First of all, it's like saying, well, I was born with chronic pain. So I didn't mind it because I didn't know anything else. Well, of course you did because chronic pain. It feels bad. That's how you know you have pain. It feels bad. And, of course, you saw in school and you saw lots of kids who came from functional homes, who came from parents who weren't alcoholics and drug addicts, right? Of course you knew differently. And I'm not trying to tell you your experience, but I have to correct statements that are dissociating, right? But let me ask you this. So how, what's your thoughts about your parents? Would you say your mother was a drug user, your father was an alcoholic? And what are your thoughts about that? That was really the source of the problem, right? That's what put you into this long journey right uh yeah i mean yeah yeah that was that was the main source of the problem that put me on the path i'm on but i mean as far as what i think about them um i mean my dad is my dad's changed since you know he was back then he doesn't drink anymore he, i mean he still has his problems and i mean we're not we're not as close as a lot of fathers and sons my mother i don't I don't necessarily speak to. She hasn't ever really moved away from that lifestyle. So I've, you know, I've, I've severed ties with majority of my family because at a certain point I realized that they weren't, they weren't in it for my best interest. So, you know, I, I, I moved across the country and haven't really looked back. What caused your father to stop drinking? Um, I think us going into foster care was a big um, catalyst for him not drinking anymore. And if your father quit drinking, why did you stay in foster care? <laughs> well, um, so that was because uh, an accusation of child abuse was made against him. And I mean, to my By your shame, mother? yeah, and to my shame she convinced me and my brother to lie about it and it ended up prolonging our experience in foster care. 
So your mother, was it sexual abuse? Yes. So your mother concocted a story that your father had sexually abused you, bullied or cajoled or convinced you guys into corroborating it. Was he charged? Um, he went to court. Um, he was never convicted. So, I, I mean, that's never happened with that. But he did go through a lot and ended up losing a lot um, fighting the accusation. And I assume she was not, he was not charged because the accusation could not be verified, right? Uh, yeah, I assume. So I know at, at one point when I was probably around eight, um, I finally broke down um, and told the truth. And I was still in foster care for another year after that, but I think that also helped his case. And how old were you when uh, your mother convinced you for all this? Um, about five or six. Uh, it's a little blurry, but I, I remember being in kindergarten with my parents, and then foster care happened somewhere towards the end of that or the beginning of first grade, so five or six. Do you know why your mother, she just wanted to do damage, just wanted to break him? What was the purpose of that? Um, so it's, it's a really, I, I don't have all the pieces because, you know, I don't have a relationship to get all the answers. But from what I understand, my mother had gotten into drug use, um, started cheating on my father and ended up leaving and wanting that child support and all that and to gain custody Oh, so this is what they call SAID, sexual abuse in divorce. Uh, it is a tactic which gives the woman automatic custody and, I assume, access to child support money or other support money from the ex-husband or the state, right? Yeah, and that's, and that's exactly what it did. I ended up living with my mom and her boyfriend at the time, um, who remained her boyfriend for a long time, but was also very abusive and um, not a very nice guy in general. But I mean, but even that was more manipulation on her part of me. So I guess I'll explain that real quick. So the memory I have of it is we were staying at my grandma's after my mom and my dad separated. Um, she got into a fight with my grandmother and me and her ended up leaving. We were walking down the street and somebody came, uh, pulled up and said, hey, do you guys need a ride to the police station or something? And, you know, I, I convinced my mom because I was tired of walking. Let's let's just take the ride. I, I don't want to walk anymore. And, you know, for years it was always, oh, well, you introduced us, you introduced us. But, you know, having gotten older and talking to people, I, I've since learned that that may not have been a chance meeting on the side of the road. And it may not have been my fault. But, you know, there's a lot of manipulation you there. It may not have been your fault? What do you mean? The fact that your mother was with an abusive guy? Is there any scenario under which that could possibly be your fault as a child? No, but to my thinking as a kid and for a large part of my life was if I hadn't convinced her to get in the car because I was tired of walking, we wouldn't have been in that situation, which is... Well, no, she told you that. She put the blame on you, right? Yeah, she did. Yeah, so it's not to your way of thinking. This is just what you were told. You know, I'm, I, I don't think that anymore. No, I, 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 it's, no, I know, it's entirely I know, it's just, You're not giving her agency. Right. She, she um, falsely accused your father of sexual abuse, putting him through literal hell for years. I'm going to go out on a limb here, my friend, and I'm going to assume that nothing bad ever happened to this lady for these false accusations. Yeah, no, nothing. No, no there was no repercussions for that. No repercussions. That's way too much agency, way too much responsibility. 
We'd like to vote very much, but not so much consequences for unbelievably evil actions. And what do you think of your mom for all of this? Um, I mean, I've, I think she's a pretty miserable person. I, I mean, I don't, I don't have any, uh, you know, necessarily good thoughts related to her, but I'm, I don't have anything hateful, I guess, but I don't, I don't, I don't talk to her. I don't, the, the little time or the few times that we do talk, I don't allow her to, cause uh, even a couple months ago, you know, she messaged me on uh, Facebook and you know, wanted me to, you know, vindicate her and make her feel better about everything that happened. And, you know, I, I told her then, you know, that she ruined my life. You know, everything that happened was her fault. But, I mean, even to this day, she still tries to, you know, put the blame on someone or something else. So my feelings about her are indifference. I, I guess that's probably the the best way to put it. She ruined your life, but you're indifferent to her. I don't follow that. I mean, I, I can't... I, I, I had a lot of hate for her for many years, but at a certain point, I, I started to feel that hating her wasn't enriching my life. It was better to, you know, set it aside and, you know, try and salvage what I could without that influence of her and, you know, my family and stuff like that. But uh, hatred and anger are healthy emotions, in my view, if they get you to safety. You know, people say, well, there's this terrible person, not you, but people say there's this terrible person in my life. I'm going to have to forgive them because the hate, the upset, the anger is eating me alive. It's like, well, why is this person still in your life then? I have to make peace with the tiger that's in my room because he keeps looking at me hungrily. It's like, well, why are you and or the tiger still in the same room? So I think for me, the anger, the hatred, people say, well, you're going to get stuck in it. You're going to get lost in it. It's going to do you damage. No. No, it's not. If you listen to them, what they're telling you to do is get thee to safety. Get thee to security. And once you're safe and secure, guess what? You don't feel the hate and the anger anymore because the fight or flight has done its thing. Get out of the way of the bear. The whole point of your emotions is to get you to change your behavior. And people have these emotions. They don't want to change their behavior. say, well, the emotions won't change. It's like, well, of course they won't change. You know, if you're in the water, you think there are sharks there, you're going to be uneasy until you get to the boat. Then you'll feel not uneasy anymore. So, if you found that it was like this sort of chronic anger and hatred, I guess my question would be, were you in a safe, secure place and there was no one like your mom or your mom wasn't around? And if that wasn't the case, I can understand why the emotions go on. I mean, I, I ended up joining the military and moving across the country and essentially cutting her out of my life. Right. And I'm going to assume, or tell me if I'm wrong, that there are, are no longer these kinds of horribly dysfunctional people in your life. 
there there were for a long time but i you know as i've gotten older i've i've as i've learned more about life and myself i've i've kind of tried to surround myself with better influences and how safe are you now on a scale of 1 to 10 uh, probably an 8 What's the two? Um, so I do have an ex-wife who is a whole ball of dysfunction that I, you know, unfortunately have to deal with for uh, quite a while more. Uh, because of kids? Yeah, I have a daughter. I'm sorry about the ex-wife, not about the daughter necessarily, but uh, what happened? Um, so she was military also. Um, I have a, a stepdaughter from a previous relationship of hers and then my daughter. I got out of the military, started going to school, and she got deployed. Um, I was I stayed home and basically raised our daughters. Um, I had a babysitter for when I'd go to class and I'd come home and be with them. And uh, she ended up cheating on me on deployment. And then when she came home, decided she wanted to end the marriage. Um, I moved out and a couple weeks after I moved out, she had somebody new in the house, so yeah, that, that essentially ended the the marriage. And what happened with your daughter? Um, she lives with her mother. Um, I live in a different state now. I'm about four hours away, but I travel back and forth to see her. I get her about one weekend a month, and then half the summer and holidays, and I Skype Why with them. Why not shared custody? Um, at the time. I, I didn't really fight. Um, I, I, you know, I gave up the house, everything. I, I was going to school full time. I didn't really have a, a steady income. Um, and I was, I ended up renting a room from a friend of a friend. So shared custody was non a non-existent option because I had no, no means to support uh, a kid on my own at that exact time. And now, uh, now I'm engaged. Um, I'm, I finished school. I, I have a great job. No, no, but, no. Now with your daughter. Now yeah, you but could I, get shared custody, right? Well, we, we have joint legal, but I couldn't get shared um, physical custody because we live in different states. Oh, I don't know how the law works, but uh, does that mean because you live in different states that you can't get your daughter in terms of shared physical custody? Um, well, they they... they they phrase it as primary uh, physical custody is wherever they live while they go to school. So because she goes to school in oh, sorry, because she goes to school where she goes to school, it's she gets primary custody and then I get the visitation. Is there any chance to transfer to where she goes to school to where you are? Um, so there 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 is a chance that I could fight for it um, and I plan to. Um my daughter actually wants to live with me. It is a topic of conversation quite often with her. Um, but again, I'm, I, I'm, I have a lot of reservations because I saw how poorly my dad was treated in the child or the family court system. Oh, um, you're concerned so, about some sort of allegation being hit, hitting you, right? That or, you know, trying and, and failing, I guess, would be another thing I'm, I'm concerned about because, and and then of course, there's always my stepdaughter who I still have in my life, 
who still thinks of me as dad. And if I go after custody of my daughter, I would lose contact with my stepdaughter. Right. I'm very sorry. That's a, it's a very, very difficult situation for sure for everyone. Um, are you going to try for another family? Do you think? Um, it's something me and my fiance have talked about. Um, we're not sure. Um, it's, it's definitely something that we're talking about seriously because, you know, I just turned 30. She's a little bit older than me. You know, now is, now is the time to, to make the decision. But, um, again, there's, there's a lot of questions there, so we're not sure if we're going to. I mean, my, my advice is if there's any way you can, and certainly physically you can, you don't want to miss out on that. You know what it's like to be a part-time dad. It's even better to be a full-time dad, as you know, right? Yeah. I definitely missed a lot of uh, valuable stuff. Right. Yeah, and she may not, um, I mean... Uh, if your daughter wants to live with you rather than the mom, then of course, a functional, happy, healthy mom would say, okay, well, I've had her for a while, and why don't you take her for a while and see how that goes? Because that's what my daughter wants, but that would necessitate, of course, giving up some child support, I would assume, right? Yeah, and that that's why we're back to that, that two points of uh, not being safe. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I can hear the burden in your voice, for sure. And then that's that's another reason for my question, because, you know, I grew up uh, a product of divorce, and now my daughter, unfortunately, is a product of divorce. And I, I'm really curious about, you know, the what makes me want to succeed. Is that something that I can, you know, teach my daughter? Or is it something that I just have to hope that she has born into her? Well, I mean, you are certainly providing an influence uh, and uh, an example to her, which I'm sure is going to be helpful. You know, one of the great problems with divorce in general is the fact that it's very, very hard, if not impossible, a lot of times, to be honest with your children. Really honest. I mean, does, does your daughter know that her mom cheated on you? Uh, I haven't brought it up. I, I would never lie if she asked, but she's a little young, so I haven't approached the subject now. Right. And you have to kind of walk on eggshells, right? Absolutely. You know, it's, uh, it's like being a conservative on Facebook. It's thin ice, baby. <laughs> right. So you have, you have to walk on eggshells. You, you, you can't be genuinely authentic about your life experience because you don't want to lob any bombs into uh your ex-wife's nest right yeah I'm, I'm, home and says, I'm, hey well you know what dad said it's like <laughs> right yeah I'm, so you gotta I'm be really diplomatic you got a soft shoe you got to downplay you gotta uh, you know and people say this is mature and it's like no you're just lying i mean i understand why and the necessity seems to be pretty strong but you have to falsify your experience with your children which is a big complication to divorce that very few people really talk about and, and understand. And so, you know, either both people are terrible or one person is terrible, in which case the other person chose a terrible person, or both people are good or great. It's like, well, if both people are good or great, why on earth did you get divorced? If one person is bad and one person is better, then you can't 
the bad person is usually bad-mouthing the good person, and the good person can't bad-mouth the bad person because they understand consequences. And if both people are terrible, then it's a disaster for the kid anyway. So choose wisely who you share your sperm with. I'm sure you would agree with that in hindsight, although I'm sure you're happy to have your daughter in your life. It'd be nice for her. Yeah, but... Yeah, it, it's it's hard to say that, you know, oh, I wish it had never happened because I love my daughter. But, you know, circumstances being what they are, like, I, I set her off to a bad start, and I really do regret that. Yeah, I mean, you wish that you had a better mom. Yeah, for your, absolutely. For your kids. I mean, not to say, I'm sure you made mistakes as well, but not the uh, playing the V cannon randomly like a symphony in the night that the ex-wife did so i'm very sorry for all of that but if you provide the best example that's great that's more than a lot of kids are going to get and of course if you have other children then you will be providing that example as well i'm sure that your daughter would not want to feel that her presence or existence neither would your stepdaughter want to feel that they're that her presence or existed prevented you from having another family right yeah that would be uh that would be that would like you know that would be terrible and if you do enjoy being a father and it sounds like you do uh i would uh i would give it a shot with the newbie and then you give uh, the example of um somebody who has improved right yeah you you always want to try and show good winning. Good winning. You want to show that virtue has traction, that virtue can ascend, that virtue can conquer, that virtue can win. And if you lose out on a new family because of your ex, well, you're losing out on half visitation or half custody for real and physical custody and so on, partly because you're in another state and all that. But if you say bad people can do their bad things, I'm going to march on and still continue to succeed. Well, I think that's a very positive thing for kids to see. We all want to see good triumph. And if you have a rich family life, that's going to be a great thing for your daughter to see, and it sure as hell, I'm sure, won't be something your ex can achieve, so she'll see what the cost of immorality is from that standpoint. Now, with with that in mind, you know, because, again, living in a different state, I get my daughter for a weekend a month, generally when during the school year. I mean, leading by example, is that enough time to really have an impact to to instill those values in her, or... You know, am I, am I fighting an uphill battle no, with that? No, it's a delicate balance. It's a really delicate balance because if you instill really good, healthy, assertive values in her and then send her back to your crazy ex, what happens? Yeah, and that's, that's I mean, we everything that we do, you know, we, we teach them rules and we, we explain values to them and they go back to their mothers and it's like it never happened the next time they come up and it's it's a little disheartening. Well, no, the only thing worse than that is if it, if you send your daughter back to your ex-wife and she like brings some of the assertiveness and the good values and the, like what happens, <laughs> right? Yeah, and like well, bad so people, bad people are really good 
at these negative alliances that keep virtue at bay. They're really good at, like if someone interferes with their capacity to act badly, they will block that very quickly. So if you are too positive an influence on your daughter, in my view, the risk is that she's like, well, I don't like you when you come back from your dad, so guess what, right? No, you're, you're absolutely right, and that's already, that's, it's happened more than once already. Yeah. Um, she you was have actually, an ally who's a good person. Oh, no, we can't have any of that, right? Yeah, she was supposed to move up to my area um, uh, for orders for the military, and, you know, when I, she had, she had told me, and it was an exciting thing, and the girls were going to live closer, and I could be a bigger part of their life. And as soon as I started talking about wanting to take a more active role and be there for them, immediately she started working to get the orders canceled and she succeeded. So, you know, she took that away. But yeah, you're, you're right. It was, it, she immediately crushed that, that good influence because it, it kind of shone a light on her negative influence. Well, and if you end up being too happy... Well, we can't have that either, right? Yeah. And so that's a big problem. I mean, a friend of mine, uh, a long time ago, um, yeah, he was, uh, was going to go and travel with his new wife. And he was going to take his daughter with him and various machinations from the ex-wife. That was not able to happen. They'd cancel the whole trip right after they got married. Can't have that happiness now, can you? Can't have your ex doing well now, can you? Got to pee on that fire of masculine joy. So it is, a, it is a very, very delicate balance. You want to be a positive influence, but not to the point where... You are no influence at all. No, you want to be a positive influence, but not to the point where you positively influence her enough to annoy her mother. Yeah. And the idea of, oh, okay, honey, in 10 years I can tell you the truth, is like, well, what if that's too late? What if... You know, you have much less influence than her mother. And listen, I, you know, with regards to my own parents who divorced when I was very little, having understood more about how the world works now, of course, than when I was in my teens, it's not like in, in junior high school or high school, they're going to step you through what happens in divorce and how the women have so much power and how these allegations can get the woman immediate custody and massive amounts. They're not going to go through any of that. I remember very clearly in class when I was 13 years old, I read a book. I still remember the cover. It had a red cover and it was about everything that happens in divorces. And... I remember the title. It said, Made in Heaven, Settled in Court. Made in Heaven, Settled in Court. You know, I should reread that one day just to figure out exactly what I learned <laughs> when I was that young. But there should be classes because so many kids are going through divorce. There should be classes saying, here's how the law works. Here's the power each person has. Here's how custody works. Because maybe you're not going through a divorce. Maybe your parents never divorced, but you probably have friends who have. But of course, you're never going to get female teachers to teach you about all the power that women have in divorce courts. They're never going to teach you all about family courts and how they work, particularly in America. Otherwise, you're going to get children chanting repeal the 19th from here to eternity. And they're going to go home and ask their 
Mom, did you do this in court? Do you have this much power in court? Why is dad blah, 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 right? You're never going to hear about that. And you should. Divorce Court, great documentary. I interviewed the director. You should watch it. Divorce Court, C-O-R-P. Watch it. It's terrifying. So the problem is that we can't tell our kids very much about the fundamental things that shape them. And now, yeah, yeah, my producer's just saying that book was published on August 1st, 1979. I guess I was 13. Yeah, 12 going on 13. So, I mean, I may not have got it right away, obviously, right? I have saw it in the library. I'm like, I'd like to read about this. And it went through all the dirty tricks that can be used in a divorce. And I certainly began to understand, and I've learned a lot more since then, just about what may have happened between my parents when it came to divorce. I remember going for dinner with my mom when I was in my mid-teens, and she was drawing up a list. Here's all the things I want. Here's how much they cost, and I'm going to get lawyers to get this from your dad. Yeah, I know those experiences. Don't get divorced, which means don't stick your dick at crazy people. Well, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Oh, no. Yeah. I used the word dick to an army guy. I'm so sorry. You're lily white ears and all that. But, um, yeah, um, you really got to be not, careful. Not, I, I, I hate to interrupt. Not, not yeah. army. I, I was Navy. Navy, sorry. Just, it's, it's a, it's a Wait, Are you saying that makes much of a difference? Just kidding. Just <laughs> kidding. Just kidding. Sorry. Um. It's my prejudice. I hear military, I think. Anyway, so it's tough. You know, I think that um, the best that you can show her is indirect stuff. Because if you coach her on like assertiveness and, and virtue and values and honesty and integrity, she's going she's gonna to go smack into the like Titanic into the iceberg of your excess dysfunction. So I think you want to model the behavior without ex explaining the behavior. And then you can say, hey, I never told her to. I, and you can honestly say that. And the, 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 whether that means anything, I don't know. But you can honestly say that. So if you coach her, that's going to be tough. But if you have a sort of functional, happy family life of your own, then you are that star in the dark at the end of the frozen lake that she can navigate towards. But I'm, I'm always concerned with, with if you coach her and, and, and give her the values to exercise at home immediately rather than leaving an impression for a future escape hatch, right, she's going to flame up the X and Lord knows what happens then, right? Yeah. All right. Well, I hope that helps. And um, please let me know how it goes. But uh, we'll move on to the next caller. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. All right. Up next, we have Lisa. Lisa wrote in and said, I'm a 26-year-old woman. And after watching your show, I've decided to turn my life around and try to find a good man to settle down with in a serious relationship. I am still single, but I'm currently talking to two different men. One of the men is very good-looking and averagely successful. The other is less attractive but very successful. I would generally want to go for the more successful guy, but I'm worried that my future children won't be good-looking. Being an attractive woman, I know how beneficial it can be to be attractive in our modern society. I want my future daughters and sons to have the same advantages I had being a good-looking person. Is it silly to factor in attractiveness when choosing a partner? Or is it selfish to not consider how my choice of partner can affect the lives of my future children, especially if they are girls? That's from Lisa. 
Lisa, that is a brutally frank question, and I appreciate you bringing it up. <laughs> I am brutally frank most of the time. No, that's good. I, I you know, got to think about this uh, ahead of time. And I don't know if you heard about the Chinese guy ended up suing his wife. What Chinese because, guy? Yeah, well, so he sued his wife because uh, she was very attractive, and he married her and had kids with her, and the kids came out looking like Quasimodo, and it turns out that she actually wasn't pretty. She just had a whole bunch of plastic surgery. And he's like, hey, man, I thought I was marrying into genetics. Now my kids are ugly. So, you know, to hell with you, I'm going to go and, uh, and sue you for uh, misrepresentation. Is that a true story? That is, in fact, a true story. Wow. That is, in fact, a true story. So, yeah, I, you're pretty, no question. And um, pretty people do have it somewhat easier in life, in some ways. But whether that's good or bad, I don't know. Whether that's good or bad. In the long run or in general, I'm not entirely positive. You know, it's the old thing, well, I want my children to have an easier life than I had. It's like, well, uh, part of your success comes from the fact that you didn't have an easy life. So I want my children to not have the same level of resistance. It's like, well, I want my children to be as muscular as I am, but I never want them to have to lift any heavy weights. It's like, well, you kind of got to choose one or the other, <laughs> right? So if that makes any sense, it is, a, um, it is a problem. But tell me the good things that have happened to you, Lisa, because of your looks. That's a good question. Um, What's it like being so pretty? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I have gotten a job because I look good, actually. Um, yeah. And I also always had the pick of pretty good men. I mean, the two men that I'm talking to right now, I doubt that I would be talking to them if I didn't look good. Um, it's, um, you know, you get, well, this is kind of a small thing. It doesn't really matter that much, but you can get into clubs really easy. You know, you can get free Things, not that you should accept free things from people just, you know, willy-nilly, but I'm just saying it's it's generally, I mean, it's it's also kind of fun, you know, just to be, um, get the attention and all that, but um, I don't know. I mean, I just, uh, I, I just know, like, just being a non-attractive woman, it's not, it's not easy, you know, it's, it's really hard, and I just want what's best for my kids, I guess, but I don't know if I'm being shallow or... You know, I just don't know. Well, there certainly are advantages to being physically attractive. I mean, you can make more money, you get more positive response. Uh, it's easier to be charismatic if you're good looking, obviously, right? Because you have that naturally positive um, reaction or response that you get. And yeah. what, what's your relationship like with uh, other women, though? Awful, actually. Not too good. But I don't know if it's because I'm pretty or not. I'm not sure about that. But I have a hard time getting along with women in general because I'm very blunt and most women are rubbed the wrong way by me. So I actually have more guy friends than girlfriends. Um, but honestly, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's very... I haven't really thought about women seeing me as competition really that often because... Mm, I don't know. Um... I mean, I have some girlfriends, but generally I just have more guy friends, I guess. Right, right, right. Did you, um, there was an interesting article that came out, and uh, I just wanted to, uh, to mention it a little bit. There are some downsides um, 
to being attractive that uh, people may not be aware of. I talked with one woman a while back ago. I don't know if you've heard this RBS, resting bitch face. That you, <laughs> yeah, can't be, that you can't be overly friendly because then every guy's like, hey, she wants my children. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in like Flynn. Mm-hmm, and yeah. so there is that aspect uh, of, of things. Relationships with other women can be, uh, can be a problem of course, and uh, lots of issues can come up around this kind of stuff, right? Talked about this with the first caller, Sue, uh, too. So the downsides, right? This is um, a couple of women have written about this recently. Uh, Jealous wives freeze you out of their lives. Insecure female bosses also barred me from promotions at work. I was reading about this one woman who was attractive who was saying that her female co-workers put half-empty bottles of alcohol on her desk so people would think she was drinking on the job. No girlfriend has ever asked this pretty woman to be her bridesmaid because she doesn't want to be, right, shone out on her, uh, or her, on her wedding. And uh, it is a big, a big problem. And uh, it's not always easy. It's not always easy. I and of course, you know, I'm sorry, very go ahead. I wouldn't say that that's very common, though. I mean, that's very extreme. You mean the bottles on the desk kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I mean that doesn't happen, you know. It, I don't know. It just seems a little... Well, she says extreme. it happened. I mean, who knows? Who knows, right? Yeah, yeah. So there are those issues for sure, and it's not like... The beautiful life is is uh, naturally paradise. You know, if being beautiful was everything, then Marilyn Monroe might still be alive. Who knows, right? So, mm-hmm. now, with regards to having a guy who is more successful than pretty, statistically, mm-hmm. in my humble opinion, Lisa, I would go, I hate to say this because, you know, you want some iron candy, but I would go for the guy who's more successful. And I'll give you my yeah. reasoning. The okay. guy who's more successful is likely to be more intelligent. Now, if you want your children to have the greatest chance of success, and by that I mean the widest chance of success, you know, they won't have the greatest chance of success in the modeling industry, but in terms of having the greatest chance of life success, in other words, being happy and healthy and staying together with their partner if they get married and having a good career and and being able to defer gratification and and living longer, you want to aim for IQ. Always, 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 you want to aim for IQ. And, you know, maybe, maybe not at the top scorching levels of IQ, like the 160 and, you know, that might come with a whole set Are of neuroses. Are you still a little crazy? Well, I don't know about those stats, but there is a certain amount of solitude that comes out of just being that smart, which is, yeah. you know, you, 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 I would imagine that you sit there and say, oh, the school system sucks. It's like, no, it just, I don't know any school system that can be designed around the one in a million person. You know, like, I'm sorry, it's just the way that it is. I mean, sorry. So a feeling of disappointment, a feeling that society doesn't fit for you, that you're not in there. Uh, when you're at the real high end extreme of the bell curve, I gotta imagine it's pretty tough to feel like you have much to do with society because society and its entire engines of operation have to kind of by definition, be around the middle of the bell curve to a large degree. So there is a little bit, I think, of interstellar solitude that comes out of uh, that really high scorching end of the uh, IQ spectrum. I mean, just look at (laughs) Isaac Asimov's kid. You can look that up. Boy, Mueller was a jerk even back then. So I would aim for the 
IQ because what you want your children, I assume, is to be happy. And happiness and IQ are positively correlated. And it's well worth aiming at that. Plus, you know, if your husband is good looking and your kids are good looking, they can't buy IQ, right? But if your husband is successful and your kids aren't quite as good looking, they can buy good looks, right? So <laughs> you, you have much more flexibility <laughs> when it comes to, uh, to that kind of stuff. So, you know, like all the, uh, all the teenage girls at the country clubs with their rhinoplasty and all that. So uh, I would say that um, you have more chance of your children being happier with a smart guy. And even if they're not quite as attractive, well, they have some options. I'm not suggesting it. I don't think it's a healthy thing to do. But, you know, if, if the looks are very, very important, they at least have some options, even if those options are just, you know, personal trainers and better food and, you know, whatever it is, right? So that would be my choice. And statistics, I think, would back me up pretty strongly on that. Oh, okay. Interesting. Plus, I'll tell you one other thing, too. If you're a beautiful woman and you're with a guy who's not as attractive as you are, do you know what you very openly state? What? He's very successful. <laughs> Come on, you know that. You see some beautiful woman with a guy who's not up to her scratch, you know he's either 10.2 or six digits plus. Uh, so <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. He's got to have something to make up for the lack of physical attractiveness he may be charming, good conversationalist, he may be very funny, he may whatever, right? But she, he's got something that uh, gets his marriage hooks into that grade A slab of woman meat, right? So <laughs> it's not like people will think, oh, wh why is she with him? She'd be like, wow, I'm, I'm curious why she is with him because it's got to be something pretty great. Yeah, that's true. He can lick his own eardrum. I don't know. Like it could be any number of things, but... Uh, uh, it won't be like people say, why, is, why are you with him, right? If you have two beautiful people say, okay, well, maybe they're just vain body narcissists. So, you know, maybe they're just, you know, they, they, maybe they're great people. Who knows, right? But at least you wouldn't have any questions. But um, when, if you're with a guy who's not as attractive as you are, that he's, you know, it's a way for him to advertise his success. And it's a way for you to advertise your depth, right? Your willingness to look beyond very shallow external things, which, by the way, probably not going to last. Have you ever seen, I don't know, you're a young person, right? But younger. But if you ever want to have some fun, not a lot of fun, but some fun when you get older, or maybe this is the case for you now, you know, you can, there are these little goofy website pop-ups and so on. It's like stars from the 80s. Where are they now? Stars from the 90s. Where are they now? Just look at that kid from Sixth Sense. Oh, lordy. He was really just like a very astute hobbit. But um, you look at these, you know, Angie Dickinson, then and now, Farrah, uh, Farrah Fawcett. Well, now, of course, mostly Ash. Um, who's that other one who went kind of, kind of... Kathleen Turner. Oh, my lord. I don't know who any attractive. of these people are. You don't know any of these people. But, you know, for those, <laughs> for those who do, and, you know, you, you can look these people up uh, as it stands... There are people to whom time has not been overly kind. And, uh, <laughs> well, then there's Halle Berry. Well, there's Harry Belly, uh, Harry, uh, 
Berry hanging upside down in a vat of formaldehyde, I assume, while she's not out there getting little tiny gnats to hold up her boobs. So, yeah, they're, and, and again, you know, see them without makeup, right? See these people without makeup. There is uh, even the very uh, attractive Ann Coulter has posted a picture or two of her. So, well, this isn't my favorite photo. It's like, whoa, <laughs> what happened there? And um, everyone has their bad angles. Everyone has their bad days. And it's tough to look pretty all the time. And, uh, you know, even people like Anna Faris and so on. And, and uh, it's not enough to, you know. For the, and, of course, celebrities, they have, it's their job. It's their job to be pretty. It's their, to most of them, right? It's their job to be pretty. So they have a whole team. They have a whole team. I remember talking to someone who was, um, who knew something about Shania Twain. And after Shania Twain had her baby, it's just like she had a whole team helping her get back into shape so that she could look that way. If you look at um, Uma Thurman, when she was trying to do Kill Bill, right, before she got her neck and knee hurt by that terrible car shot uh, from Quentin Tarantino, she was going insane just trying to lose like one tiny little patch of fat somewhere. I think it was on her thigh or her butt. She's like, I can't get rid of this and we can't start shooting until we get rid of this. It's like, I'm barely eating as it is. I'm working out four hours a day. I can't get rid of it. Ooh. And uh, that's their job. So they got entire, you know, you see these people on the red carpet. They're not human beings. They're like cyborgs of makeup and plastic and the teamwork. And I mean, come on, stay in the shade. You're going to fall apart. So these sort of standards of beauty are not particularly realistic. To oh Meg Ryan, Meg Ryan too, man, back in the sleepless in Seattle days. Oh my gosh, like she was something else. And again, you know, men age like wine, women age like milk to a large degree, and a lot of that has to do with childbirth. And you know, Lord love the ladies for having the babies, but uh, if you're just gonna marry for looks. Well, you may not end up, you know, may not end up exactly as advertised early on. There can be weight gain. There can be illnesses. There can be ailments. There can be, oh, they look great, but uh, I don't know, they got a bone spur or some kind of rheumatoid arthritis in their toe. Or, you know, there could be any number of things that happen. Uh, they, they need to go on medication that bloats them. That You know, <laughs> you lose your hair. Who knows, right? There can be so many things that happen that, um, you know, IQ is going to be stable, man. IQ, I mean, unless you get like a railway spike through your head or some degenerative brain ailment, IQ is IQ. You know, yeah. IQ is the tits that don't sag. IQ <laughs> is the hair you don't lose. IQ is the teeth that never go yellow. IQ is the one stable thing that you can build a marriage around that ain't going to change. Whereas looks, you know, it's a little bit of a dice roll. And even people who take care of themselves, some of them aren't going to age that well. It could be, you know, wow, he had a deep and luxuriant George Hamilton cocoa butter tan when I first met him, and now he looks like Leatherface because the sun, like a vampire, sucked up all of his vital juices. <laughs> you know, sorry. It's like no amount of face cream is going to uh, reduce or eliminate uh, much the massive exposure to sun that you can get when you're younger. I mean, just ask Hugh Jackman's nose, right? So I'm showing that well, I know way too much about celebrity gossip. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Hey, I stand in line in the supermarket too. Sorry, you were saying? I said, isn't IQ passed down through the mother anyway? That's so what I hear. Mind, right? That's what I hear. But it sure don't help. It sure don't hurt to have some smart sperm in there. <laughs> yeah, I sperm guess that true. don't have to stop and ask for directions. Sperm that don't get distracted by commercials. Sperm with focus and dedication and burrowing tools. Sperm with mechanical tools, with uh, shovels, uh, perhaps beyond our drills, as I mentioned earlier. So 
You want your innovative creative sperm, they're going to build oil derricks over the eggs and get in that way. Uh, that's the ones you want. So it is passed down through the mom from what I hear, although I'm sure that remains somewhat in flux, but it's not like the father's DNA is uh, indifferent in the equation. I'm sure of that too. Yeah, you're right. All right. Does that help? Will you let us know how it goes? Yes, sure. Oh, can I ask you one question, tiny bit embarrassing? Uh-huh. When you say talking to two men, is that a way of putting it? That's not what you're calling it these days, is it? No, it's just, just talking. talking to these two men? Just talking, yeah. Okay, just wanted to check that you weren't uh, doing the <laughs> juggle. All right. All two right. Four. Thank you. Thanks, uh, thanks for the call. I wish you the very best, and do let us know how it goes. Thank you. Thank you. Let's do one more. Okay, up next we have Colton. He wrote in and said, Me and my girlfriend of about a year and a half recently broke up. It was my fault as I betrayed her and cheated on her. I am truly ashamed at myself for my actions. I am still in contact with her, and I know we still care very deeply for each other. Is there any way I can earn her trust back and salvage the relationship? And if not, how can I, one, forgive myself for my absolutely terrible and stupid decisions, two, move past this in a healthy way that will assure I never make the same mistakes again and I can be a wonderful boyfriend and husband in the future. That's from Colton. Colton, Colton, what happened, brother? Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me all right? Yes, I can. Okay, cool, great. Um, I'm a little nervous, man. I'm surprised I'm this nervous, but uh, I guess it'd be better if you just... just once, uh, I will try my very best to be nice, all right? Just once. It's never going to happen again. (laughs) Only for you. <laughs> All right, man. So, um, yeah, what happened? Yeah, I feel, um, yeah, basically, um, I feel like the reason why I did it, and I think I'm missing something in this rationale, but this is the best way that I've come to describe it, is basically she... I felt sort of insecure in our future together because... She ended up wanting to go to college far away from where we live now. And um, I was worried about this. And I don't think we talked about this enough. And then I just ended up like, I mean, to be very blunt. What happened? Well, you kind of wanted out, right? Cheating is wanting out. I mean, I wanted us to work, but I felt like because she wanted to do that, like, we wouldn't work. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I know what you mean. I'm not, I'm not saying you hated or anything like that. But listen, I mean, you and I, you're a young man, right? You and I both know that the odds of a relationship lasting a long-distance college time is pretty freaking low, right? Yeah, of course. Like, that's she's why I She's meeting want- new people. She's making new friends. She's in a big, stimulating environment. She's being taught how to dye her hair blue and hate men and capitalism and whiteness. So, <laughs> well, you know, the odds I mean, that uh, it's going to last. What was she going to go take, just out of curiosity? Um, she wanted to do something with, like, business or, like, economics or something like that. And, I mean, to her credit, the college that she wanted to go to is, like, a very small private school, like, Christian college. So, I mean, okay. I don't think there'd be too much of that SJW kind of, you know, stuff, but... So scratch my irrational response uh, to to the the environment. All right, but nonetheless, I mean, would it, how long would the degree have taken? Do you think is it three years, four years? 
Uh, probably like four. And she did also say that she wanted to study abroad and stuff. And it was just like, I didn't think that that was going to work out. What? I'm going to go away for four years and then to another country. But it's going to work out just fine between that. Come on, man. Well, of course. Yeah, no. But um, I mean, I didn't. I don't even really think it's worth her going to college because, like, I know that she would much rather just, like, you know, have a stable, loving relationship and a good family and things like that. So, well, it doesn't matter what you think. I mean, does she? I mean, it does obviously, but uh, what does she? What does she think of that? I don't. I don't. I guess I don't know because I know that she wants that, but I mean. She really need. She really wanted and needed to get out of her current living situation, and she really wanted that. And I understand it. Um, she kind of. Her mom is. Uh, her mom's like a uh, a widow, but it's sort of like a single mom situation anyway, because um, her father was a drug addict, and that's how he passed. No. So, Oh, mama. Yeah. Uh, like, like when we talk drug addicts, we're not talking like a couple of Adderall. Like, are we talking like some like serious horse hoofs on the head or what? Um, I believe it was heroin. I'm pretty sure it was heroin. Yeah. And um, he passed when she was, I believe, seven. And I think she was the one that found him. That's Yeah, she was the one that found him. Uh. Well, that, that's going to scramble a few eggs, wouldn't you say? <laughs> uh, yeah, if, that's what, if that's the way you'd like to put it. Oh, I mean, did it? I mean, how, how was she in terms of relationships and love and openness and honesty and empathy and all that kind of stuff? Um, I mean, honestly, I found her to be very loving and pretty. What Like, she was very honest for the most part. And when I mean that, I say that because, like, I feel like we kind of didn't really talk about this, like, planning our future together. But aside from that, like, I feel like we were very honest with our feelings about, you know, with each other. And um, I found her to be very strong. Just to be able to go through that and then still have, like, just valuing family and being able to realize, like, how dysfunctional her mother was and things like that. And I think I attribute – she did sort of had a, have a father – figure and her grandfather um that was able to you know instill a few values that i think were good you know that honesty and things like that um and he's a really smart guy but you know it was his son that ended up you know making all those terrible choices um so her role model was the guy who raised the father whose dead body she found uh yeah honestly really what are you doing, man? How pretty was she? She was. She she is very pretty. That is for certain. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you think that may have been uh, guiding your dick decisions? Decisions just a little bit. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So. But I I really don't your think your dick she might was have been drilling to freedom through another woman. I'm just this a possibility. Maybe, I guess, but I mean, come on, man, this is a. You want to, you want to, you want to hit your wagon to this family tree, brother? Really? I mean, I, I'm sorry for the girl. Don't get me wrong. This is a terrible, terrible situation. 
But it's going to take yeah. her a long time to deal with that, and it's going to take a lot of therapy, and it's going to take a lot of work. And is this really where you want to put your precious sperm and life and finances and children? Yeah, and, I mean, right? Come on. I, yeah, no, I, like, yeah, I understand. Well, I understand all that. I mean, we diff, we definitely had conversations where, like, she openly stated, like, like she wanted to have kids in the future. I mean, we're not ready yet. But I mean, in the future. And um, she was like, yeah, no, my my uh, my mom can't be involved in any of that. Like, my mom's crazy. Screw that. And, you know, most of her family, like she really doesn't she really she doesn't even really want to be too much in her family's life. Like she has one aunt that I met. That's pretty good. She had a stable. She has a stable relationship. She has a cousin that's very intelligent um, that I think were good influences to her. And I mean, her grandfather, I mean, obviously he did a bad job raising his kid, but I mean, he, I don't think he's a bad guy per se. Like, I think he just, him and his wife were, were working all the time. And, uh, my ex's father was a single child and he was sort of like raised by like nannies. So I feel like that kind of contributed to, you know, being lonely and, you know, self-medication and things like that. So but they had after children. That, they had children and then didn't raise them much. Yeah, her. Uh, yeah, her dad's. Well, that's her a terrible grandfather. Decision. Definitely, yeah. Right. I mean, you understand that to be a parent who doesn't see your child much is worse than cheating on a spouse. You're cheating on your children. The difference being that your children don't have any damn choice. Don't cheat on your children with your job, with another woman, with another man. Don't cheat on your children with video games. Don't cheat on your children. They have no choice. You decided to bring them in the world. Spend some damn time with them. Don't cheat on your children with money. Don't cheat on your children with your career. Don't cheat on your children with success. Don't cheat on your children. They have no choice. Be with your children. Now, I understand. You got to go out to work. You got chores to do. I'm not saying stare at them 24 7 without blinking, <laughs> but make them the sun around which your decisions orbit. They didn't choose to be there. You chose them, and they got no place to go. So everyone talks about, oh, I did cheat on my girlfriend, cheat on my wife. That's bad. We'll talk about that. But I think we can kind of see the effects of cheating on your children, which is a dead drug addict being found. By a grandchild. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. So, would your children want this woman and her family to be the environment they grew up in? Forget your decision, okay? Because your decision is around prettiness and sex. I don't know if she's a bad person or anything, but in terms of your precious seed, your future children, if they get the vote on who you date, is it her? Well, I mean, definitely not her family, but like I said, she didn't even want her family in her life. Like, But you that know, means the children have the no grandparents, and grandparents are important. If you can have productive grandparents and, and decent grandparents, that's helpful, that's important. It takes a lot of the burden of raising children, gives them intergenerational wisdom, gives a rich and deeper sense of family. So if your children had the choice statistically, my friend, they would choose a family 
with grandparents. All other things being equal. Definitely, yeah. I got that. And they sure as hell may not want to choose a family where their mother is going to go into a catastrophic depression when the oldest one hits seven and she gets triggered by the memories of her being seven and finding her dead father on the linoleum. You never know when these bombs are going off, these bombs of history go off among people and in families. You never know. You know, my mom was much more functional for better, for want of a better phrase. She was much more functional until one day she just decided not to get out of bed. Or maybe she didn't decide, but she just didn't get out of bed. Stayed in bed. And then make her some tea in the morning, bring her some toast, put the tea in the toast by her bed, go off to school like I was in a dream, like I was walking in helium, and then I'd come back at lunch, and there would be no tea drunk, and no, and I'd take the toast, throw it out, I'd make her some more toast, make her some more tea, put it by her bed, ask if she was okay, get nothing in response. And then I would head back to school, walking on helium, like walking in the cloud, walking on nothingness. And then I'd come back in the evening, and I'd take my book, and I'd sit in my room, and I'd wait to see if I heard any sound of movement, because I wasn't sure she was even still alive sometimes. I would check her breathing. This went on for weeks. She must have got something to eat while I was out. She must have gone to the bathroom, I guess, while I was out. But this went on and on and on. Now, I didn't understand it, of course, at the time. I was like, I don't know, 12 or 13. I understand it more now. Now that I'm older, I understand it. That was the year she turned 40. And she knew her looks were going. And she wasn't going to be able to get the kind of man that she wanted. She was going to have the grim single mother death march to old age. That her sexual market value was plummeting. She didn't want to get out of bed. I understand it now. Back then, it was just... 98-pound corpse, Mom, ain't drinking her tea. So, and there may have been other things, I don't know, that, that, that triggered or caused that, but after that, she was never the same. Never really had a job again and never was able to function. It just, she struggled, she struggled. Maybe just to get us to teenage years. Well, it wasn't us, it was just me and her then. So, you don't know when this kind of stuff is going to kick up. Yeah, she was doing okay, she was terrible and violent and all that, but she at least, you know, functional, had a job, and, and then psh, you never know how long people can keep it up. And I'll tell you this as well. In my view, look, don't cheat on people, for sure. I, I'm not trying to condone that at all. But don't pretend to be in a relationship when you're going away for four years and then telling a guy you're going to work overseas. Come on. That's cheating already, in a sense. That's just cheating with distance rather than with someone. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of get that. I guess, like, I always, I don't know. I kept it in my mind that I, I don't know. I feel like I thought I could convince her to not go that route. That you know, maybe we could just, you know, she could move out of her house and get away from, you know, her dysfunctional mother and stuff. But, you know, she didn't have to go states away and do all that. Well, why not date a girl or get married to a girl and have kids with a girl who doesn't have that kind of crazy mother? Because she can say, well, you know, I don't want 
my mom involved in the child raising, but what if the mom becomes like some crazy ass stalker? What if she becomes a real bunny boiler? What if she's just intrusive and comes over with that? I mean, is that going to be what you want? Your stressed out mom passing along her cortisol to the baby through her breast milk? I mean, Lord, this is like, it's a lot to take on. It's a lot to take on. I mean, forget the looks. I know it's tough to say. Forget the looks, man. Forget the looks. Mm-hmm. Looks looks are passing. We all know that. Looks like an ambulance. Right? It passes. Look, she, you know, she gets a couple of kids coming out of her. She's got she's been breastfeeding for six years. I mean, those things are happening down like a point she can tie knots in them. I mean, sorry, it's just the way it goes. It's just the way it goes. You know, nature puts subcutaneous fat on a woman's hips after baby, so they got some place to sit while she's making you a sandwich. <laughs> just the way it works man now some people look fantastic and they work out four hours a day because they're cheating on their kids with their body narcissism but for the most part you know uh making babies is kind of a southpaw to the perfect dimensions of a woman's face it just happens there are stretch marks the skin never returns the way it came and the boobs hang and sag and i mean it ages a woman they're little vampires. I'm telling you straight up, they're little vampires. Men, we kind of sail by this, not too particularly bad. but And, uh, you know, for me, I mean, I think I actually better than I did 10 years ago because I lost some weight and <laughs> work out more and all that. But anyway, this is the reality. The looks are going to fade, and you're left with that crazy little thing called the personality and the history and the family and the mess. And it's easier to deal, it's easier to avoid your issues before you become a parent because you don't get triggered as much. This is a friend of mine who said about parenting long before I became a parent, it kind of stuck with my head. He said, having kids is like you got this whole kind of treasure chest of your issues and your problems and the things that you've managed to skate away from or skate by across and above from because you're young and energetic and hungry and busy and ambitious and all that so you got this whole big box of uh, of issues and problems and tensions and triggers and so on and your kids are like hey cool i like treasure chess and they like rip the lid open and you're like <laughs> hey man sensitive stuff and they're like hey cool what's in here oh wow oh that's cool that's good what happens if i twist this i'm gonna try hitting this against the side of the chest i'm kind of curious about this what if i dig down in this mm, i'm gonna bite this and see what it tastes like and you're like huh, issues oh ooh, tension oh yeah but they don't know they're just kids they're curious they explore they don't know that they're tripping all over the damn time bombs and minefields of your history they're just curious they're just doing their thing but it feels like you know, people are stripping you down to your skivvies and putting you in front of a jumbotron. <laughs> you know, it's like it's kind of weird <laughs> that way. That's why you got to do a lot of work on your issues before you become a parent because they're just going to be doing their thing. You know, they, they might raise their voice at you and they're not sitting there thinking, boy, I hope I don't remind you of your mom now. Because <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> they don't know. They're just mad or something, right? And um, if they wake up for the third time that night. It's like, well, I hope I don't. Remind you of your drunken father who used to crash against things in the downstairs and wake you up three times at the night. Now I'm waking you for the third time. Hope I don't remind you of that. They're just like, want milk? Give boob. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> like me on my honeymoon. So, I would just say that, uh, <laughs> you know, when there's a lot of issues, and of course, people, maybe a little bit more women with a lot of issues, sometimes, funny story, man, sometimes women will work on looks rather than work on their issues. 
They'll work on looking good. They'll work on exercising. They'll work on eating right. They'll work on their makeup. They'll work on their weave. They'll work on their hair. they work on you name it. Get their false Brookshield spider face eyelashes out there and they work on their looks rather than on their issues. Because that's the tool of the trade. So my question is, forget the looks, man. Just from an interpersonal standpoint, just from a history and issue standpoint, just from a future minefield standpoint, man, is this the best you can do? No. Is this top shelf for you? Well, I don't think so. I mean, that's crazy. You, when you, I didn't even like think about this too much because I mean, I was blinded, as you know. But um, <laughs> as you say, like when you said um, two eyeballs, like, two nipples. Funny how that works. <laughs> <laughs> no, but when you when you started to point out, like you know, they work on their looks as opposed to their issues, like. <laughs> she was really into like doing makeup and hair and stuff so that's crazy but um yeah i don't i think uh you know a nice lady with some grandparents might be well not might be would surely be better i mean my uh i had one grandmother growing up that i was really close with my other grandparents lives kind of far away but that one grandmother definitely um took care of me a lot and you know was definitely helpful in raising me dick don't care about the inside man your heart your soul your mind your they all care about the inside dick don't care about the inside especially when you're young right yeah well i guess it kind of cares crazy but it's pretty crazy (laughs) so let's just pretend the crazy doesn't exist go for the pretty and that's maybe why she's working. She should be working more on her issues than her looks, right? That's a big, big red flag right there. She comes from a ridiculously traumatized history. She found her dead, drugged father. Man, that's, that's rough. That's horrible rough. And she should be working on therapy. She should be working on self-knowledge. She should be working on ironing things out with her family. She should be working on discovering as much as she can about where she came from to, and how to avoid any kind of repetition. If she's doing sit-ups and tummy tucks instead, well, I prefer a woman who says, does my soul look good in your future rather than a woman who says, does my ass look good in these jeans? <laughs> so you might have been Escaping, not cheating, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's, I never really, I never thought of it like that. Here's how to break orbit by busting a nut. <laughs> I mean, look, don't cheat, don't get me wrong. I mean, this is stuff, you, if, you know, but this is where we get self-knowledge rather than just self-attack, right? Because I know you're down on yourself for cheating. And I'm not saying, you know, cheating doesn't matter, but, but the whole point of self-knowledge is not to just get mad at yourself because we're all going to do stuff that's wrong. We're all going to do stuff that's wrong. I have, you have, everyone who's listening to this, if they're honest, we've all done stuff that's wrong. But the whole point is if you just get mad at yourself, you learn nothing. If you figure out 
why you did what you did, which is like, I know that's why you're calling in, so I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But if you learn why you did what you did, the good thing is you don't have to white knuckle and teeth grit your way through the next time. You just won't have the desire. Like, I, I am so happy in my marriage, man. I have no desire to cheat. I have no desire. Like, forget it. No interest. <laughs> not even a shred. And so once you really figure out what's going on for you, you can give up getting mad at yourself. And because you've learned, you then have the certainty of knowing that you won't do it again. So if you figure out why you cheated on this woman, that's important. And I think you cheated on her because the relationship had no future, which was bad. But if the relationship did have a future, that was even worse because it was going to end in disaster, most likely. That's crazy. Now, if you know that down the road, then what happens is you don't have to sit there and say, man, I'm a cheater. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to lay pipe like I'm some crazy construction crew in a gyroscope, right? I mean, you, you just sit there and say, now that I know how to avoid the red flags that lead me to get out of relationships by cheating, I can wait and learn and find a woman so great I have no desire to cheat. And then I don't have to sit there and say, well, I hope I don't cheat on this woman. I got a white knuckle. I got to punch myself in the dick every time some curvaceous hottie walks by. You don't have any desire to. That's the whole point is to reduce the amount of willpower that you need. You know, like you see these guys in the warehouse and they're like lifting these giant crates or beer bottles. It's like, dudes, get a forklift truck. You're going to hurt your backs. You're going to end up with some horrible arthritis or lumbago or whatever, right? And so you want that forklift truck so you don't have to work so hard. You want to find a woman who's so great you have no desire to cheat rather than, okay, well, I guess I got to watch myself because I'm a cheater and I got to white knuckle this and I got to grip my teeth and I hope I don't cheat with this person. I hope I don't cheat with that person because then all you're doing is putting off all these symbol signals that you're obsessed about cheating and then destructive women will pick up on those signals and have you cheat just because they like to break people. They like to break relationships. Some lot of people out there are just like, oh, I see someone who's vaguely functional and a vaguely decent relationship, but they're putting off all these signals, so I think I'm going to go in there, fire the V cannon directly into the shardy heart of their relationship and walk away like, boom, just blew up a relationship. I'm a good, happy sadist, right? That's so those crazy. people are always that going to be floating around looking for you, thinking about cheating and worrying about cheating and obsessing about cheating. They're like, hey, I think I'll put him out of his misery now. He'll know for sure. So just once you get these red flags, once you get the self-knowledge, you have no desire to cheat. You don't have to worry about it. Ooh. Wake up every morning and say, oh, but don't cheat. <laughs> like, I'm going to end up kissing someone else. Like, not going to happen. Not going to cheat on my daughter. Not going to cheat on my wife. Not going to cheat on philosophy. Not tempted. And people come along and say, oh, I could give you this opportunity, but you got to do this. It's like, nah, I'm not tempted. Sorry. <laughs> it's not even virtue anymore. It's just I'm... It's not interesting. Not interesting. And that's where I want to get you to. Not to get mad at yourself for cheating, because that's just punishment. And punishment teaches you nothing other than an avoidance and fascination. You know, you say to a kid, don't touch this thing or you're in trouble. What does the kid want to do? Touch the thing. <laughs> right? That's the, all you teach is fascination and fear. But self-knowledge frees you. Fascination, fear, or freedom. These are the three Fs we got to juggle with, my friend. And if you figure out why you cheated without just saying, I'm a bad person, I cheated, it's wrong, it's okay, yeah, you shouldn't have cheated, I get that. But the question is, it's done, so you can't go back and undo it. The only thing that you can get out of it that's really worthwhile is why you did it. 
You did not want a future with this woman. Deep down, you knew there was no future with this woman. She was telling you that because she was saying, hey man, I got a news flash for you, boyfriend of mine. Let me tell you something, Colton. This is how I woke up this morning. I woke up this morning, Colton, and I said to myself, I'm going to make every conceivable life plan that doesn't involve you in any way, shape, or form that I possibly can. First, I'm joining the Foreign Legion. They're going to put me in a desert with no phone access. Then, I think I will become a deep-sea diver who never comes up for air. I'm going to skim the bottom of the Mariana Trench in a bathyscape. Then, you know what I'm going to do? Astronaut, baby! I'm going to go up to the using SpaceX to get to the International Space Station. I'm going to be there for, I don't know, 10 to 15 years. Then I'm going to Mars. <laughs> then I'm going to get cremated. So enjoy your life, not with me. <laughs> Come on. I'm going to college in another state. Then I'm going to go work overseas. <laughs> if she'd had any self-knowledge, she'd have said, it ain't working, brother. <laughs> I'm going to set you free. But she was telling you she didn't want to be with you by planning her whole life involving you, not at all. And you were telling her you don't want to be with her by having sex with another woman. You both were basically saying there's no future in this, and you were both right. But you didn't have the self-knowledge or assertiveness at this particular point, which you're young, I understand, to say it rather than act it out. You both were acting out a breakup. I'm going to another state, then to another country. Good luck. <laughs> Well, I'm going to sleep with another woman. I'll, I'll see your distance and I'll raise you one hoochie-coochie. Right? I mean, come on. <laughs> right? This is, you both break it up with each other. But you didn't have the self-knowledge to make it explicit and so you had to act it out. You go far, yeah. I'll go deep. I'll meet you around the other side of Breakupville. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely never even, never put that together, but, uh... I'm leaving on a jet plane, that's what she's saying. You're like, I'm leaning on some cleavage. Hey, can we meet around the airport of not so much together anymore? <laughs> See how great self-knowledge is. It's not like you get to forgive yourself for everything. You want to get to a place where you don't want to spend your whole life fighting temptation. Just get to a place where temptation isn't an issue. Definitely. Can I tell you a tiny story? Go ahead. All right. I was a teenager. I was dating a Jewish girl. And I didn't know back in the day that there's a lot of pressure on Jewish girls to marry Jewish guys. I'm not a Jewish guy. I know there are rumors, but I'm not a Jewish guy. And, um, <laughs> and it wasn't like, you know, it was just kissing, but I ended up kissing another girl, right? And, right. you know, I, we ended up not, you know, going out, right? For obvious reasons. The, the Jewish girl and I. Now, of course, in hindsight, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Wasn't much of a future. And I think she ended up marrying a nice Jewish boy later on. And, you know, more power to her and, and good, good luck and all that. But it's like, okay, well, it wasn't much of a future, that relationship, because I'm not Jewish. So it's like, okay, I ended up dating a nice Protestant girl. And <laughs> so 
you know, do I sit there and say, oh, and I kissed another girl? Well, you know, I was a teenager. It wasn't the right thing to do. No question about it. But I think deep down, I kind of got that wasn't much of a future. Wasn't much of a future with the Jewish girl. And it's funny, you know, because back then, I didn't really think about any of these things at all. Oh, she's pretty. Oh, I'll go out with her. <laughs> you know, that's the way you, the way you work. But deep down, you, can, you know, deep down, we're angling for something permanent. We, we, we live in the moment, but our spine kind of thinks deep into the future. So I would say be easy on yourself. You know, be strict with yourself insofar as, you know, of course it wasn't the right thing to do, but just stopping at it wasn't the right thing to do is missing the point. Of course, you, you knew it. I mean, if somebody said, oh, cheating, that's oh, bad, you knew it wasn't the right. The question is, why did you do it when it was the wrong thing to do? Well, either you're just some bad guy, but you know, what does that teach? It doesn't teach you anything. Just, it's just a form of self-attack, right? And we have to be gentle with ourselves because we ain't going anywhere, right? I mean, I got to be myself. Everyone else is taken, <laughs> right? So you got to find some way to be easy with yourself. And if you actually have genuine self-knowledge, then you can look at your failings, you can look at the things that you did that were wrong, and you can say, what can I learn? Why did I do it? And be curious about yourself like you're an archaeologist. Like I look at decisions like, you know, if, if you're some Aztec archaeologist and you're uncovering some place where they would drug children and cut out their living hearts or something, okay, you can sit there and say, well, that was stone evil and child abuse. Well, yeah, it was, but you kind of want to learn about the causality and the culture and the history and the thoughts and the religion and whatever, right? All this kind of stuff. And it's the same thing with yourself. I mean, if you're an archaeologist, say, well, this is a place where great evil happened. Darkness is in the land. It's not really being an archaeologist. It's being a moralist, which is, I guess, okay. But if you're just a condemnatory moralist, then you're not teaching anyone anything other than self-hatred and a reliance on willpower that will surely fail sooner or later. You know, if you figure out, like, I'll give you a little example. So I don't eat that much in the morning. I don't eat much during the day. But I have a big appetite at night. And I've learned to eat less at night. It's one of the ways in which, I guess, eight or nine years ago, I lost, I don't know, 25 or 30 pounds. And I've kept it off. And I figured out, okay, well, why do I eat more in the evening? Well, I can sit there and say, well, I'm not going to eat more in the evening. Oh, well, but why? Of course, it's probably obvious to everyone out there, but it took me a little while to figure out that I eat more in the evening because when I was a kid, when my mom came home and other people came home, I was stressed. And I guess I'm a bit of a stress eater, right? So... Once I realized that the reason I eat more in the evening is that I was sort of stressed or worried and anxious and nervous, and that's a way that I managed that, then it became easier to not eat so much in the evening, right? It's just like I sit there and say, well, I'm just a pig in the evenings, and I'm just a greedy in the evenings. Okay, well, then I can grit my teeth, and I'm going to fail, run out of willpower eventually. Having willpower is like holding your breath. You can do it for a while, and then you can't, right? You want to get into a situation where you can breathe. And when you have self-knowledge, which is not just attacking yourself, it's the same thing like when my daughter something I, does something I don't agree with. I'll just try and figure out why she does it. Oh, you're bad. You're like, okay, what have I achieved? Nothing other than the implantation of negative voices in her head, which is just going to create fear or fascination rather than freedom. And once you figure out why you're doing what you're doing, the whole point of self-knowledge is to free you up from needing willpower so that you can focus on more important things so that you don't have the narcissism of self-management that goes on and on and on forever, 
that moralists have been profoundly unable to release human beings from throughout almost all of moral history. And you get this kind of weird poll, sorry for the long lecture, because it's kind of weird poll where, like on the one hand, you have these moralists, oh, it's evil and you're a sinner and it's bad and, you know, okay, well, <sighs> fear and fascination. And then you have this, on the other hand, you have this, you know, hey man, you know, you just don't have any of these rules. <laughs> so you slept with someone, you know, we're, we're like apes, apes do it, mammals do it, birds, bees, mammals do it, you know, dolphins do it, dolphins do it very aggressively. And they then say, the first one says, you're bad and therefore you should avoid it, which doesn't work. And the second one says, there's nothing to avoid because there's no such thing as badness. Neither of them get you to a place of self-knowledge because neither of them have you curious about yourself. The first one says, well, you shouldn't be curious about yourself because you're bad. Just stop doing bad things. You're a sinner. You're bad. Okay, well, there's no self-knowledge to be gained from that. You're just supposed to set yourself up in willpower. That's why diets always fail. Or there are the other people who say, well, there's no such thing as bad and no need for rules and there's no behavior to change and everything's loosey-goosey and you just do your thing. And man, you know, it's relativism, subjectivism, you know, just do your own thing, right? Neither of them lead you to a place of self-knowledge and therefore they cannot liberate you. They can't liberate you. The whole point is to automate things. You know, when you're a kid, you learn how to walk. You really concentrate on learning how to walk. I still remember learning how to bike. You got to really concentrate to learn how to bike. I remember the first time I was on skis, you know, you got to really concentrate, right? But the whole point of getting better at these things is you don't have to think about the basics anymore. I don't have to sit there and think, well, I would like to have a conversation with someone, but I also do have to climb a set of stairs. Clearly, I can't do both, so... I guess I'll have to call you back. I mean, that's not what you want. You want to just, I walk up the stairs, I keep chatting, and I can cook my meal, I keep chatting, or I can podcast and drive a car, whatever, right? You want to automate stuff. Automate stuff means taking away willpower and getting self-knowledge so that you don't have the fascination and the fear that leads you to transgress against values. Then this is where philosophy, or at least the approach that I take to me, is so important and so powerful and so helpful and so healthy is that you must become curious. I say the must like it's a rule. You will find yourself very liberated for higher and more important things when you release yourself from the fear and fascination and the self-denial that comes from self-castigation or the haziness that has you unprepared with any self-knowledge for just believing that no one does anything wrong and it's all fine and, you know, we're just flesh, you know, we're mammals and animals. I was like, well, kind of not, right? We kind of are, but we're pretty unique. So, you know, I hope that long speech gives you some utility, my friend. But I would say, be gentle with yourself. Do not fall into self-castigation. You've got a long time to live with yourself. You don't want to be standing over your own self with a whip in your hand. That is a bad place to be. That is a negative place to be. That's a horrible place to be. Be curious with yourself. Be firm with yourself. Be gentle with yourself. Gentleness and firmness can go very much hand in hand. And... Be curious. Curiosity, curiosity, curiosity is the great driving force of progress. Not, I'm bad. Not, I didn't do anything wrong, but I wonder why I did what I did. I wonder what the roots are of why I did what I did. It's not good that I did what I did, so I want to change it, but I'm not going to change it by instituting interstatism. I mean, there's no point saying I don't want a violent 
oligarchy outside and then find some way to substitute a violent or aggressive or abusive oligarchy inside. The reason we have a state out there is a state of mind. The reason we punish people and get mad at people and use force to try and solve every problem is because we get mad and punish ourselves, bully ourselves, yell at ourselves, call ourselves terrible names. I'm so stupid. All this sort of stuff, right? Why did I do? I'm such a bad guy. I'm a terrible boyfriend, terrible husband. Blah. Why did I do what I do? Why did I date this person? Why did I cheat on this person? Why did I take that job? Why did I just be curious, be curious, be curious? And then you release yourself piece by piece from fear and fascination. And you get the freedom of release from temptation. And then you can do the things that you do. People say to me, like, how the hell are you so productive? You write these books, you do videos, you call in shows. And how are you so productive? I exist largely without temptation. I don't castigate myself. I don't waste mental energy attacking myself. I course correct, of course. But out of curiosity and out of a genuine desire to learn about myself and to share what I've learned with the world. And that kind of gentleness and that kind of curiosity, but that firmness is a great combination to go through life with. And it will lead you some to some amazing places of self-revelation and personal power that give you what seem like superhuman abilities to others. They give you the superhuman abilities to withstand criticism, to withstand calumny to take courageous stands on important information that others fear to tread on. You know, there's an old saying, the fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Well, the topics that I talk about, and you know which ones they are, <laughs> all of them for the most part, they are places that other people, people I admire, brave people, courageous people, people who speak truth to power on a regular basis, I go places those people won't go. Why? Because I am genuinely curious about the world. And I also know when people attack me, when they write terrible things about me, and I said this many years ago, they're not encaging me. They're not putting me in a cage. They're putting themselves in a cage because they are fundamentally working. This is why I don't do a lot of attack videos. Get engaged. Like, oh, this person. Because when you lash out at someone and try to punish them for their curiosity, it doesn't land on me because that's not how I operate with myself. There's no weapon available to others that you don't first use upon yourself. And if you won't use a weapon on yourself, other people can only fire blanks at you. If I don't have an abusive relationship with myself, then other people can't have that abusive relationship with me. If I don't self-attack, their attacks don't add up to much of anything. Freedom from others is sympathy with the self. Freedom from control from others is refusing to control yourself. Because once you understand the value and the power of self-curiosity, of gentleness and firmness and curiosity with the self, then you can, like a superhero, walk through bullets and bombs and shrapnel that take down mortals and be largely untouched. And that is an amazing power to have. And it is the power of grace and it is the power of curiosity and it is the power of a relentless thirst to acquire and share knowledge about myself, about you in this conversation, about others, about the world, about all the topics that I deal with. This relentless curiosity and this refusal to attack myself means that attacks from other people 
don't land. See, nobody can hit you. Outside of physical direct punching, right? I mean, nobody can hit you. All they can do is talk you, try and talk you into hitting yourself. It's all they can do. The world is like a boxing ring with two boxers in it who cannot hit each other. And all they can do is they say, you should really punch yourself. Oh, you're such, you should really punch yourself. Man, you deserve a really great left hook there. Oh, now pummel yourself, rope dope in the corner. Knock yourself out, knock yourself out. Punch yourself, punch yourself, punch yourself. Throw yourself into the ropes. Pound your head down. Lift up your knee and crack into your nose. You can punch yourself below the belt, can't you, chicken? It's a war of words. All they're trying to do is get the other boxer to punch himself, to implant self-hatred into the mind of an innocent person. Maybe your girlfriend's trying to do that to you. I don't know. Maybe some of this self-criticism that's coming is coming from her. You're a bad person. You cheated on me. You're wrong. You're a bad boyfriend. You're a terrible boyfriend. Blah, 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 blah. Now, I'm not saying you hurt her. I'm not saying she should be just all big and curious and let's, right? That's your job, not hers. She's hurt. But if you can get to the state of mind of realizing that nobody can hit you but you, nobody can make you feel bad about yourself but you, that is a very powerful action because every time you punch yourself because someone's mad at you, you reinforce the power of verbal abuse. It would not be a very good boxing match if neither of the boxers listened to the other. And so you want to take weapons away from other people in order to pacify the world. And when people are saying bad things about you, if you listen and internalize that and beat yourself up about all of that, you are reinforcing the power of verbal abuse in the world. That is a terrible, terrible thing to do. I don't mean to self-attack about it because, you know, this is all just a self-knowledge and exploration. But I'm very much into diffusing verbal bombs. People say the most terrible stuff to me or about me, and I'm like, it's not an argument. It's not an argument. And that does a lot of powerful things. It tells the person that they're being most likely abusive, that they're being irrational, that they're not thinking, that they're not communicating, that they're acting out, that they're being immature. It's not an argument calling me a bad person, calling me whatever names, it's not an argument. Calling anyone, just calling them names is not an argument. And the not an argument thing is very important. It's very powerful. That's why it's taken on its meme status and meme stature with hats. (laughs) Because I'm not going to engage at that level. They're trying to get me to get mad at myself. Why? I know I'm acting honorably and decently, with course corrections when necessary. I know that I'm coming from a good and loving place and a positive place of wanting people to get along better and know the truth and the truth shall set you free, even if it pisses you off first, especially when it pisses you off first. So don't reinforce the venomous power of the cobra strikers of verbal abuse. Because when you free yourself from verbal abusers, you free them to some degree from the addiction of verbal abuse. The man who is trying to hunt shooting nothing but blanks, will soon give up hunting because none of his shots will land. And every time we refuse to self-attack when we are verbally attacked, we release people from their addiction just a little bit. We release people from their addiction to abuse. And if we release them from their addiction to abuse others, maybe we can help release them from their addiction to abuse themselves. And then, as the Lord saith, let us sit down 
and reason together. Does that help at all? Um, yeah, I think it definitely does. Um, definitely. I'm very much more secure in my reasoning as to why I did it to a degree. Cause I, I, I mean, like, yeah, like the relationship basically, it didn't have any future and I was sort of onto it, but not like a hundred percent, but I definitely grasped that a lot better now. There's a lot of ways of getting out of prison, my friend. All right. Well, I hope that helps. Thanks, everyone, so much for another wonderful evening's show. And uh, please uh, help us out at freedomainradio.com slash donate. Pick up your copy of the most excellent The Art of the Argument at theartoftheargument.com. You can help us out if you've got some shopping to do at fdrurl.com forward slash Amazon. Sign up for the newsletter at freedomainradio.com. Follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux and rethink what you share on Facebook. <laughs> Thanks everyone so much. Freedomainradio.com slash donate. Have a wonderful evening. Mwah! That was a terrible one. Let me try that again. Mwah! We will talk to you soon.